Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayo. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this episode 2000 of the Comic Book Page Podcast, I am joined by James, and we're going to answer some listener questions as we celebrate 2,000 episodes of the Comic Book Page Podcast. James, how are you doing tonight? I am doing great for this festive evening. How are you doing, John? I am doing well. I am doing well. And by the way, i got to start by saying congratulations on 2,000 episodes. I wasn't here for all of them. Haven't heard every single one of them, but that's a big feat. It is, and it took many, many, many years to do it. I don't know how many other comic book podcasts have hit 2,000 episodes. Not many, because I listen to quite a few, and even the ones that have been around for a while, they're nowhere near 2,000. So your cadence is definitely more often than I think most podcasts are. There are some that have gone, I know one or two that went like five days a week, which I thought was just, wow, that's, that's <laughs> impressive. Now, I don't think they kept it up forever in a day, but I mean, who could? There are others that, even if the podcast has been going on for many, many years, because there are others that have been going on for you know well over a decade or something, they've either rotated out the people behind the scenes and in front of the mic and such, and or they've taken breaks. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you look at Comic Geek Speak, which has been around forever, and they have a ton of episodes, but it hasn't always been the same cast and crew of people, and you've been the consistent person here the mm-hmm. entire time. Yeah. So. I mean, I think with Comic Geek Speak, I can name at least three different people that were kind of the main mover and shaker at different points on it. Yeah. And I don't know that they've ever taken a a hiatus from it, but I'll be honest, I stopped keeping track of them ages ago. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I I listen to quite a few comic book podcasts, and of all the ones I listen to, yours has been going the longest, because I I stopped listening to Comic Geek Speak, and I listen to, like, iFanboy sometimes. I listen to 11 O'Clock Comics is one of them. And there's a few others here and there, but yours has definitely been very consistent. And honestly, that's a credit to you because you put in a lot of work here, and it's not easy. The editing, the recording, the time commitment. You've talked in the past about how you were able to organize your collection, but that kind of goes out the door when you're a podcaster. Yeah, it does. And I appreciate you saying all that because I think there's, at least in my mind, a difference between being on a podcast and being a podcaster. Yeah. And I've been on both sides of that fence. I mean, when I did some some guest episodes of Comic Timing with, with Ian Levenstein ages ago or episodes of Comic Geek Speak and stuff, it was basically either hop on the computer or the phone and, and talk for a little bit and hang up and I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty easy. I can do that, you know, but doing... You know, 2,000 episodes, not all of which I've been on for the Comic Book Page podcast, but I've done all the editing, I've done all the the posting, all the -the behind-the-scenes legwork, and that does take some time. A lot of time. And, uh, I mean, you go back to the Mayo Report, just the number crunching, Mm -hmm. because we we used to talk about that. You would spend hours trying to clean up the data, fix the data, sort the data, and and, and then nothing was ever 100% correct because it's almost impossible with the way it came through to you. Well, and that was usually a weekend a month. Yeah. Where Friday, if I was lucky, I'd get the data, I would start crunching it, have to do multiple passes because there was some 
oh, geez, they've got a backward numbered title or, you know, there's some other oddity or they, you know, changed how they were encoding the publisher or the, the title name or whatever. And plus, how do I handle, you know, new types of variant covers or the different price points when they would do those things and stuff like that. So there were times I was having to recode the system during that weekend, as well as clean the data, crunch the data, write the article, get it up, which, you know, I've honestly, I was doing that long, not all of that on that type of tight time frame, but I've been doing that since the turn of the century before then even. Yeah. And I remember you would load the info to CBR, you'd type up the report, Mm -hmm. you'd have your own website to update. And then someone would be like, hey, look, the numbers, here they are on Comic-Con. <laughs> that, was, that was always frustrating, but I, <laughs> yeah. you, you did the work. <laughs> and, and no disrespect to like John Jackson Miller over at Comic-Con. I think he's an awesome guy, and definitely I think people should be checking that out too. But there's something to be looking at my own forum after I've done that kind of, of work and stuff, and they're like, yeah, go look somewhere else. And I'm like, dude. <laughs> Yeah. I, hey, I appreciated all the work you put into that. It's kind of cool. Like, I, I liked when you guys would do the numbers because I, I wasn't in on those. It was you and Sam and Eric would typically do those those podcasts. Mm-hmm. But I would follow along with your little chart if I happened to be at home when it would came up on my on my playlist and just look at the numbers that you guys were looking at. So I thought that was kind of cool. Well, yeah, I always tried to have the information available to where if people wanted to follow along, they could. And to to get it to where if they weren't following along, they could still understand what we were talking about on the episode. Yeah. Because it's podcasting is, in its purest form, an audio format. It really is. Yeah. And we we try to get it a little bit interactive with the questions and stuff. It was kind of cool, like, you know, how you make it interactive. Like, people suggested, hey, how do we know which questions to ask, what books you guys are getting on the forum? So you can see I started updating the... The forum. I did notice my, that, yes. With my comics, and then I put it on the Slack channel too. So whichever way people want to look at it, here's what I got. Boom. There it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I've been doing the videos of what I get every week since uh, comics started shipping again after the, the pandemic shutdown. Yeah. So, I, you know, with all the work you put into this, though, I can see how your collection almost becomes a little bit unruly. And I'm not saying it's unruly, but... Oh, I'll say it's unruly. Yeah, you can't do the A, B, C, D, E, F, G thing anymore. That's That takes a lot of time to merge all that stuff together. Well, not just that. I mean, there's the opportunity cost of the podcast. It's time I'm spending doing that versus other things. Yeah, spending time with family, you know, mm-hmm. or going on a vacation <laughs> or just having some downtime, honestly. Yeah, well, and that's part of why I've kind of shifted some stuff around to where I can, I can have – the occasional week where I don't need to worry about the podcast. Yeah. You know, that was one of the nice things about the pandemic is it got me out of the weekly comic spotlight grind. And I'd been doing that for 659 weeks straight. Without missing a beat, pretty much. Without missing an episode. There were a few I recorded in advance. Yes, we did that together. (laughs) Yeah, did that a couple of times. But you figure since... I was going to say, the podcast officially started, and we got some questions on this, so I'll go over some of this again a little later. Officially started in the beginning of 2007, but it didn't really go weekly until near the end of August of 2007. Oh, okay. Since then, I've had at least an episode go up every week since then, which is nearly 15 years. That's insane. Not insane. That's a lot. 15 years. Wow. Well, I mean, here we are on episode 2000. It is a lot. Yeah. 
and it's not going up every day. So that takes a long time. No, a long, long time. I made a decision early on because the original uh, agreement was the weekly comic spotlight. Oh, it'd be about a half hour-ish or something like that. And that'd be the episode we do every week kind of thing. And then it's, uh, hey, let's do another episode. I'm like, well, okay. And then it got to the point where it's like, you know, I'm not going daily. Just not yeah. going to happen, you know? And, and partially because it would drive me, you know, uh, insane to do that kind of grind. But also, I want the listeners to have time to do other things. You know, like, I don't know, read comics, maybe listen to some other podcasts and have a life <laughs> or something. Yeah, very true. Very true. Because <laughs> when you're listening to a podcast, you can't read comics very well. And I'm proof of that because there are times I try to read comics while I have the TV on and I don't absorb that information. No, when I'm reading, I've got nothing else going on. When I'm watching TV, I'm not reading. I'm not doing other stuff. I'm, I'm or you know, watching the TV or the movie or whatever. It's if I'm going to enjoy the entertainment, I'm going to focus on it and enjoy it. No, that's the way to do it. But it's it's kind of cool what you built here because you built a nice community over these last two thousand episodes. You mm-hmm. have a website. You have a forum. Now we have a Slack channel. I mean, so much has changed, you know, from you, you know, shopping at your local comic shop and working in a comic shop to working with DCBS and being a pre-order customer to now with Deep Discount Comics, Eric from Cowabunga and all the stuff that you did. Even you kind of helped Eric a little bit. And Eric's been a big supporter of the podcast. It's been really cool. Yeah, it has been. It has been. Yeah. So just a lot of cool things have changed. And I feel like I've gotten to know you better, too. And We'll get into this with the questions later on, but it's just been kind of cool getting to know you Mm -hmm. here on the podcast besides just this voice that I hear or the forums, you know? No, absolutely. I enjoy talking with you every time we get together and stuff online to do that. Again, I had the same thing with the other co-hosts over the years and such. You know, you get into a, you know, a rhythm where there's not just the time you spend recording the episode, but there's kind of the pregame, postgame kind of, you know, hey, what's going on in life sort of thing. Exactly. You know, if if anyone thinks we basically, you know, do the equivalent of, of pick up a, a phone or, you know, we're doing it on Skype, but you get the idea. Start the call straight into the episode and the minute we're done, hang up. I mean, come on. How rude would that be? <laughs> we talk a little bit. We plan for what's coming up down the road. We talk about what's going on in life in general, sometimes yeah. work, family, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I have had times where I will record... Oh, 45 minute hour long episode and have a four hour audio file to pull it out of. Holy mackerel. Well, because I have the th- uh, Skype record everything. Oh, just yeah. Just that way I don't miss anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been doing this long enough. I have had one or two episodes that I've had to re record because, you know, maybe I forgot to hit record or, or the, the Skype recording didn't work or something like that. You know, you, you do this long enough, those sorts of things happen. Yeah, I, I remember the first time you asked me for my file, and I was like, please tell me that Audacity recorded. Please tell me Audacity. Mm-hmm. It did. I mean, it's going, but you never think about it until you have to it, – it, it recorded. So thank goodness. Well, and, and <laughs> the second recording is rarely as good as the first. Yeah, I agree. And you said sometimes it doesn't sync up right. Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's some interesting technical issues with doing a podcast remotely like this because, I mean, you're in Florida. I'm in Texas. We're not in the same room, obviously. Not in the same time zone. <laughs> yeah. And we've got it to where just a little behind the scenes stuff. And I can do an entire episode on the hows to and whys and stuff of podcasting if people are interested. But we're doing this over Skype. We've got, I've got a, a program recording the Skype call. We've both got Audacity going, getting our own side of the track. 
And if I can, I use the Skype recording because it's got everything synced up. If I need to, like if we've got, like when we do episodes with Sam also with us and stuff, so we've got three people, I want everybody on their own track so I can manipulate the audio separately. But invariably, when you get to, you know, an hour plus episode, it doesn't take much of a difference in the the clock speed of a, a computer or whatever for one of them to be just a hair faster or slower than the others. So if I sync them up at the beginning of the episode, an hour and a half later, they're just enough out of sync that it's noticeable. If you're listening yeah. to that in the, the Skype recording kind of a deal. Yeah. Now, if you're not, it's not noticeable because, well, editing. Yeah. But that's why I edit. But I'll tell you what. I appreciate that you edit your podcast because, one, you make me sound better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, legit. I, I have a lot of false starts. I go do a lot of ums, ahs, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you, t- you take a lot of that stuff out. And I listen to other podcasts and you hear coughing, sneezing, eating, drinking burping I'm, I'm not even joking with this stuff yeah and, and you and you hear like just breathing into the mic you know just <sighs> and i'm like man it, it, it but the amount of time and effort you put into doing that stuff it make gives you a very professional sounding podcast versus just some guy that they happen to have a, a hot mic standing close to him maybe when he was doing this and I think that's really cool. And, you know, it's hats off to you because that's a lot of extra work that a lot of people don't do. It's a ton of extra work, but I do it out of respect for the listeners. I don't want to waste their time. Well, thank you. On behalf of the listeners, we appreciate it. Sure hope so, because it does take some time. Yeah. But I have had episodes where I have, I kid you not, literally edited out 10 or 15 minutes worth of all of that kind of stuff that would have been in there if I just let it go up raw. And I think some of it was that seven-hour marathon with the year on Spotlight. <laughs> Actually, there have been a few others. There have been a few others. <laughs> yeah. That was a long one. That was the longest, wasn't it? That was the longest recording I've done. I split that into multiple episodes, so you could argue if it's the longest episode I've done or not. But we did a yearly comic Spotlight that I think was the longest with the back-issue Spotlight on JLA Avengers that I did with Eric and James of Calabunga Deep Discount Comics in a neck and neck tie for that within just a few minutes both were over three hours yeah that's that was a lot i remember you feel almost tired after doing that oh yeah i mean they were great fun to do but they are tiring yeah i was amazed i'm doing the easy part just talking but even i felt kind of like mentally drained you know exhausted a little bit oh you were a total trooper on the this last yearly comic spotlight i did not expect that to go for what a four hour recording and then we came back for another couple hours yeah <laughs> I remember that my wife was like, really, you're not done? I was like, no, we're not done. <laughs> but it does, even on my end, I notice I feel a little bit mentally drained when they go really long mm-hmm. because you have to have energy to what you say. Yeah. You don't want to be monotone and just blah, 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 blah. So having that inflection in the voice and sounding interested and or saying things like with purpose and giving it a little conviction takes energy. So Well, and I certainly try to do that. I think I've always tried to do that. Yeah. Although, if you look at my reviews on iTunes, there's at least one person who didn't agree with that maybe 10, 15 years ago or whenever. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I usually don't spend too much time looking at my reviews on iTunes. Every once in a while, I've done that, and there are a couple that's like, I don't think they, they understood what I was going for with, with one or two comments, or they just see things differently, which is fine. Yeah. Well, I, I think you've done an amazing job, and I, I'm proud of you. No, oh, thanks. I, I don't do it alone. You're a big help, as are all the other co-hosts over the years. Yeah. 
So do you want to jump into the questions now? or Yeah, sure. Let's go ahead and do that. All right. I will start with this because it's, it's one that applies to both of us. Some of these, not so much. Now, first off, most of the questions came from Jason Z. So thank you, Jason. Dr. Mo yes. sent a couple in there near the end or whatnot. But again, listener participation, it's a great thing. Yes. So the first question, and we'll let you answer it first, then I'll do it. What is your general background as a fan in comics? Okay, I'm going to go a little bit deep cuts with James. Now, I first remember comics, honestly, when I remember them, seeing them and touching them and looking at them the first time. I was in the second grade. I was living next door to a neighbor. He was in the second grade, too, same class. And his older brother had these huge, like, oversized, like, Superman comics. But Mm -hmm. they were massive, like a magazine type thing. And we used to just go and look at them until he'd yell yell at us and tell us to get out of there. (laughs) But I used to love those things. I thought they were really cool. And then later on, you know, I started to pick things up at the convenience store. My parents would stop at, like, where where we saw them. I didn't see spinner racks, but it was convenience stores and almost like the waterfall type thing, the the magazines and the comics. So I would pick them up off that when my parents would stop and and I'd beg them, hey, can I get some comics? Can I get some comics? And they'd give me a few and I'd be quiet in the back seat. And I remember in one of them, I saw a Mile High Comics ad. And it was like, get 100 or 200 comics for like 20 bucks. It was something like that. You know, and I'm sure for Mile High, it was like the trash comics. Little <laughs> stuff for, I had too many copies of. Yeah. Yeah. And for, but for me, it was like a gold mine. I remember I would go to doctor's offices. I would walk around anywhere I was going in the car with my parents. I was carrying this big box and I just pull out the comics and look at them. And I, I still have some of those comics, believe it or not, mm-hmm. and just loved looking at them. But then, you know, I progressed to basically buying my own comics at a convenience store. It was most all they sold was Marvel. I was out in the country. There was no comic shops anywhere where I lived until eventually I looked in the Yellow Pages. I found a comic shop in a city that was about a 45-minute hour drive. I used to drive over there. It was called Abacus Coins and Comics. All they had was back issues. They had tons of them. I used to pick up some Judge Dredd comics. I'd pick up Conan. I'd pick up X-Men, you know, just things that were old that I thought were cool. Mm-hmm. And I remember that shop very well. The guy would be eating a sandwich and dripping stuff on the counter. And I was always thought he was going to get the sauce on my comics. And then the first comic shop that was close to me was it was a place called Downtown Comics. It was run by a guy named Matt Milburn in Winter Haven, Florida. And I really loved it. It eventually became a coliseum of comics, and mm-hmm. they moved it to Lakeland, the town where there was an hour away. But it was a great comic shop. They used to have gaming in there. I used to go by there and buy my comics every week. He would give you 10% off, and he bagged and boarded everything. That The image boom happened when I was buying comics from that shop, and I just loved it. I was there until I went into the Army. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Came back and bought more comics from time to time when I get home. And it, it, my, my love affair was all around growing up Marvel comics because that's what I read mostly and Image comics because that was like the new big new thing. Got it. And yeah. that, that was 99% of what I was reading. I remember reading Death in the Family, Batman, uh, stuff here and there. I remember reading the beginning of Aquaman when Peter David went in. But, you know, that guy who opened that comic sh- shop, Matt Milburn, he had to move to North Carolina. It was like 2003 or something. He has another comic shop called Parker, Banner, Kent, and Wayne in North Carolina. Mm. And we're still friends on Facebook, and he remembers me. He sent me a picture of me like, Probably I was 16 or 17. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. He's like, hey, you remember this? I was like, oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> Blast funny. from the past. So, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of like my history. And then, like, I, I was always the one going in and out of comics. So, like, some of it was – and I'll talk about this more later on – just being broke. I didn't have money. 
some of it was like being in the army. I had no storage. Yeah. And I, when I go into it, I want, I'd always go in heavy. I was, I loved it, but like life would happen. I went through a divorce, you know, and comics became a secondary thing in my life at that mm-hmm. point. And so now life is stable, income's good. And so, yeah, I'm in, I'm still in pretty heavy right now and I love it. <laughs> no, I can totally understand all that. Yeah. So that's kind of like my, uh, my, my history. So John, what is your general background as a fan in comics? I honestly can't remember the first time I kind of got into comics. I mean, I remember having some of the Hanna-Barbera comics or something like that. I remember having some of the early digests where they would do black and white reprints of like, you know, the Fantastic Four or whatnot. And these were like pocket-sized books, which is convenient because I could carry them around with me all the way all over the place. Yeah. You know, I remember some of the early trades of Origins, Son of Origins, and all the other stuff that, that Marvel had done before trade paperbacks were even a thing. I cool. mean, those are definitely an anomaly. But I had started reading comics, I'm going to say probably around 1977. I mean, I'd done it casually before, but that's, I think, when I got hooked. I'd had some some surgery done. A friend of the family, you know, gave me some comics to read while I was getting over that and such. And then it's like, okay, you know, once I discovered the spinner rack at the local grocery store, you know, in the 7-Eleven and, you know, the various other places, that's where the lunch money would start to go, you know? Yeah. I started mainly with DC, but I, you know, I ventured into Marvel and such, you know, some of the other indie publishers of the time. So by the mid 80s, I was reading from a multitude of publishers and was heavy into if DC and then between, you know, Crisis, Secret Wars, and stuff like that, I was pretty soon, you know, whole hog on both. And I, I was I was going through my database last night, kind of prepping for this. I think I've got comics from, like, over 2,300 different publishers. Wow. I didn't even know there were that many. Well, they're not. <laughs> and I'm not going to say that some of these lasted more than the two or three issues they published. But I've also got close to 70,000 comics. Yeah. Wow. And I don't even have any idea how many hardcovers or trade paperbacks and stuff I've got. I haven't done as good of a job tracking those over the years. And, you know, it's it's not just the comics and stuff. You know, I've got a, a crazy collection of, of action figures and, and other things of, of the sorts. And, you know, having grown up in San Diego, I went to Comic-Con back when it was in the uh, the, the basement level of, I think it was the the Grand Hotel or whatever it was back in the day. Dad took me when I was uh, a kid, and, you know, I started going on a regular basis in the early 80s and such, and I I think, I know I was doing it before I could drive, so I had to be 14 or 15 at the time, and did it every year except for 1991, 1992, somewhere in there, somewhere in that time frame. I missed one year then, but every year up until the pandemic. Wow. Yeah, I remember you telling me about that, and pandemic was the first break. Yeah, well, and I went to Comic-Con at home, so arguably I haven't missed one since. Oh, that's true. (laughs) But anyone who thinks they've been to Comic-Con because they did Comic-Con at home, you have not. (laughs) It's not the same thing. (laughs) Not even close. Yeah. It's like watching a football game versus being at the football game. Two different things. Or or so I would imagine not being a sports fan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they are very different. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's really cool. And then we have another question. And I believe this was one that I was asking you. Mm-hmm. What what made you decide to start podcasting? Like, what's your origin story as a podcaster? Because we all want to know. Well, this, why'd you, why you pick doing this? This came both from you and uh, from Jason. Oh, so Jason I kinda, and I both did it. Okay. I, I merged them. And yeah, this is this is a great question. 
I mean, I started listening to comic book podcasts not too long after podcasting started. I'm not going to say I was like an instant adopter or whatever, but, you know, once iTunes was out there and, and stuff like that, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm curious. There are these things called podcasts. Are there any about comics? And I found a couple and, you know, listened to quite a few of them. Some were just a few minutes long. Some were, were much, much longer. And it was interesting because a lot of those early podcasters were very passionate about comics. Yeah. But it was also clear they didn't always know as much about the comics as I thought maybe they could. <laughs> I, I distinctly recall one podcast I was listening to where one of the, the people on it asked a question, and I forget the exact phrasing, but it was along the lines of, what does Superboy have to do with a legion of superheroes? Wow. <laughs> and it may have been, what does this legion have to do with Superboy? But it was very much those two. And I'm I'm sitting there, you know, listening back then and, and whatnot of, how big of a fan of the Legion can you possibly be if you don't know the origin of the team and their connection to Superboy? Yeah. You know, and there's nothing right or wrong about it. I don't expect everyone to know everything about comics or whatnot, but when you put yourself out there as a would-be expert on something and then say things that kind of indicate maybe you're not, or in some cases definitely you're not, it's like, man, I maybe I know a little bit more than some of these people. So that was one of the things that made me think, you know, I... I possibly had something to add to the bigger conversation. Definitely. And again, at this point, we're talking, you know, mid-2000s. I'd been crunching comic book sales numbers and such for years, probably six to eight by that point. I mean, I didn't start posting the data on my website until like 2004 or something, but I, I'd been following the sales trends for quite a while because I'd thought about going into publishing. Um, and I joined a couple of comic book podcast forums and such, and I would tend to chime in of... You know, both what I thought of the comics, because, you know, I got my opinions. But also when people, it's like, well, you know, this thing's not selling whatever, it's it's doing worse than that. And I'm like, well, actually, the numbers indicate this, you know. Not to say that they're wrong or anything, but they didn't have the information. Let me put it out there for them, you know. And that led to me getting invited on a couple of podcasts, such again, Ian Levenstein's Comic Timing podcast. Cool. I got invited to, to be on Comic Geek Speak to talk about the sales numbers for, I guess it was December 2005. Wow. That led to me being a, a regular monthly feature on that for about a year and a half. Did a similar set of episodes on the trade sales with Chris Marshall and the Collected Comics Library podcast. We transitioned those trade episodes to the Comic Book Page podcast once I started that in 2007. And kind of what led to me starting it is, you know, I'd been on a number of them, and I'm like, I'm a technical sort of guy. So I was talking to Chris about it, and Chris was like, oh, you should do it. And I talked to Ian, you know, asked both of them, you know, the, the mechanics of how do you get the, the, the feed set up, all that kind of stuff. You know, and both were a big help. You know, I joined a local meetup group about podcasting. That didn't hurt either. Cool. And, and then, like I said, I, I started the podcast in January 2007. And I'll be honest, it kind of, you know, went in fits and starts for a bit. And uh, it didn't really go weekly until... August when I started the weekly comic spotlight and really got into the rhythm. And again, I've released at least an episode a week, sometimes as many as three, every week since the end of August 2007. Which is just a lot of material. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I personally have been on 1920 episodes or thereabouts of the 2000, which is about a hair over 96% of them with a total length of 2,062 hours and 40 minutes. Wow. Now, there's another 83 hours of content across another 79 episodes. And those include some guest episodes that, like, Jason from Hawaii's done, and 
some stuff like that, and a few that, honestly, I, I wasn't invited to be on. And yes, that did sort of annoy me a little bit, uh, particularly since I was expected to do, you know, all the behind-the-scenes work on those episodes, too, but, you know, hey, it happens. <laughs> so, but yeah, 15 years later, 2,000 episodes for a total of uh, 2,145 hours in about 38 minutes. Man. Not counting this episode. And we thank you for that time. We well, really do. Hopefully people have enjoyed it. I have. I, I, I really enjoy it. So I, I enjoyed it even before I was here recording with you. Good. So my next question that I have is how many comics do you have now compared to when the former podcast first started 15 years ago, roughly? Okay. This is the kind of question I always have a hard time answering. Oh, I thought you'd have it perfect because you'd know in your database exactly. <laughs> well, I've I've migrated databases a time or two over oh, the years. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, the forum originally, uh, part of it, forum or podcast, the forum originally started in late 2006, early 2007, I think. I mean, that's been 15 years. I sort of forget. The, the website dates back to like 2001 or thereabouts. Now, I've got at least 26,140 more comics now than I did at the start of 2008. Because that's just a count of all the comics that, you know, launched in 2008 or later. Wow. But I've also scanned 28,684 comics into the uh, Comic Collector database from Collector Z. I didn't start that till 2011. Now, wow. most of that's new comics, but that also includes about 4,200 comics that are in my drawer boxes that are part of the main collection. Now, some of those would be after... 2007-ish time frame, I think. I'd have to check. So best guess is somewhere between 26 and 32,000 comics, maybe? That's a lot of comics. That's a, that's yeah. a heck of a lot of comics. <laughs> yeah, and 70-plus thousand comics in your collection. That's... Thereabouts. I think it's a little under. I don't know. Because I went through a phase at one point getting a ton of back issues, a majority of which are kind of still unread because I haven't had the time. Yeah. You've been recording podcasts. Yes, I have. And <laughs> editing and releasing and prepping and yeah. Now, the next one's an interesting one. I think I knew this answer, but I could be wrong. How many hosts have there been in total over the years? Okay, I've got a short answer, but I'm going to give the long answer okay. before I give the short answer. Because first, I want to go through kind of a, a definition, because I'm not going to say mine's an official one by any stretch, but it's what I use as host versus co-host, to me, is akin to pig versus chicken. <laughs> Very true. In a bacon and egg breakfast, what's the difference between chicken and a pig? Yeah. Chicken's involved, the pig commits. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> so, uh, to me, a co-host is somebody who I record with on a regular basis, and there have been you know, others that have been guests on the podcast a number of times, like the late Derek Royal of the Comics Alternative, and others who've done guest episodes, like Jason from Hawaii. I'm not really considering either of those as a, a co-host, because it's not like I was scheduled to do stuff with them on a regular basis. Yeah. And co-hosts is totally needed and appreciated, but there is a world of difference in my mind, again, between being on a podcast and being a podcaster. I, I can attest to that. I. I... Don't argue that at all. <laughs> and again, we've gotten some great questions about the mechanics of podcasting. And if people are interested, we can totally do an episode on those sorts of questions and the difference on being on a podcast versus being a podcaster, at least as I see it. 
So I think there's only been one host, but how many co-hosts have you had? That was the, the, the clarification I was going to make, and you beat me to it. Good answer. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I appreciate you, you seeing where I was going with this. Yeah. One host, me. Seven co-hosts, as I counted. Wow, seven of them. Chris, Bob, Drew, Kay, Sam, Eric, TJ, and you. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, cool, cool. Now, hopefully I haven't forgotten anybody, um, but it's been 2,000 episodes, 15 years, and my memory's not what it once was, so it's possible. I don't think I have, though. Yeah, but a nice nice crew. Yeah, a, good crew. A motley crew. Yes. Now, <laughs> now uh, you have to do a little bit more work for us, because the next question was, what are the origin stories for the various co-hosts? I can talk about me, but you have to talk about those others. Uh, let me go through in chronological order, because that will end with you. Okay. And I got one or two things to say before I, I get your vantage point on your, your origin story. Okay. So, based on the order they first appeared on the podcast, that would be Chris Marshall of the Collected Comics Library. He has done 114 episodes with a total length of 138 hours and almost 10 minutes. He was my first co-host, and technically I started on his podcast, where we were doing the trade sales and stuff back then. In late 2006, he was on until August 2015. So he's got like the longest tenure on the podcast in terms of elapsed time. Okay. Great guy. Totally miss talking with him on a monthly basis. Good friend and stuff. I don't know if currently he's back podcasting or not, but he's got a, a pretty good back library and stuff over at the Collected Comics Library, so it's worth checking out. Yeah. As far as I know, I think it's still on hiatus. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. He's He's got a life. He's got kids. It's, you know, it, it's a time commitment. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> And he was doing it totally solo. Yeah. You know, in my mind, there's solo podcast, two, three people conversation podcast, and then mob scene kind of podcast. Yeah, where everyone's just shouting and saying uh, stuff. Not so much shouting, but you've got, you know, like you're, it, it's one thing to be listening to somebody give a soliloquy. Another thing to be listening to two people talk. It's another thing to be listening to a crowd of people in the next booth over at the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, very true. <laughs> you know, it's just a different dynamic, and none's better than the others. They're all just different. Yeah. But Chris doing a solo podcast for as long as he did, wow, that just amazes me. Yeah, tough. The next one was Bob. He was on for 592 episodes for a total length of, I think, 573 hours and 52, 53 minutes thereabouts. Wow. He was a fellow listener of Comic Geek Speak. We met on the forums. Got to know each other that way. He's also run a ton of comic books. Uh, Bob holds the Guinness World's Record for the largest collection of comic books. And he was co-host from August 27 until May 2013. Wow. Yep. At which point, Drew came on board. Drew did 253 episodes for a total length of 213 hours and 37 minutes. He was co-host from late May 2013 till about March 2018. And Drew and his brother Kyle can be found over on Comics for Fun and Profit, uh, that podcast. Cool. My sister Kay, she's done 424 episodes with a total length of about 374 hours and 44, 45 minutes. She's my sister. Uh, she's been doing t television episodes, movie episodes, convention episodes since late May 2013. The ones with her, we generally have an idea of the sorts of episodes we're going to do. But I honestly couldn't tell you what the next episode we're going to record is. It's, well, what do we feel like watching? We watch it and we record on it. Yeah. But she's probably put in the most time on the podcast in terms of 
going to the conventions, watching the episode, you know, TV episodes, the movies, and, and stuff like that. Some of the episodes she's done have taken some serious logistical planning in terms yeah. of getting to the conventions and stuff like that, and time commitment for, for prep time and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that what's cool, though, is you get some quality family time with that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is two birds, one stone. Boom. Absolutely. It's a ton of fun. Some of this is stuff we'd be watching anyways. Some of it we'd be discussing anyways. It's just, do we record some of that discussion or not? Yeah. Cool. So, ton of fun to do those. Then we've got Sam. He's done 146 episodes, total length of 244 hours and 28 minutes. He's done episodes on the comic book sales. The television ratings, I love those because he does yeah. the number crunching on those, and that's just a bunch of fun. And then more recently, uh, Back Issue Spotlights. Cool. Uh, also a couple of roundtable discussions, I think, too. Yeah, yeah, he was on some of those. Eric? Now, I don't have the stats for him because I've got an Excel file where I, I track all these things, and I've got a different column for the other co-hosts, and I just never put one together for Eric. Because he's, he's been on the podcast a number of times, from the epic back-issue spotlight on the JLA Avengers, to various sales data episodes, some recent back-issue spotlights, but it, up until recently, not regularly enough that it's like, okay, let me go restructure the Excel file and toss the column in for that. So I, I should do that. I don't know exactly how many episodes he's been on or, or what his runtime is. He's kind of like the baby of the group, though. He hasn't been here that long. He's like a... Uh, New well, <laughs> yeah, he's he's been. I'm trying to think how far back that JLA Avengers episode was. Oh, that, yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, and I did that with with uh, him and James and stuff. Man, again, that one went for days. It was a ton of fun though. Yeah, great guys. Eric and James own Cowabunga Comics, Deep Discount Comics. I've been shopping with them since the beginning of 2018. Great guys, great shop. Totally recommend both. Yeah, good good stuff. I I've been with them since 2017. I love them. Yeah, a few of you guys, like you and Drew, jumped over before I did, so yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. I thought you would have been one of the first. I wanted to make sure, because at that time I was getting a stupid amount of comics. You wanted to make sure all the kinks were worked out first. I didn't want to overload them with, with, you know, okay, you know, here's, you know, 60 things every week to go get out or something like that. I did that for you. Yeah, well, <laughs> it I worked out. It all. <laughs> I, I switched over and been happy, so yeah. Yeah. And then TJ has done 41 episodes for a total length of 60 hours and 33 minutes. He took over as the co-host of the uh, trade sales episodes after Chris stepped down. That was August 2015 until September 2021 when the sales data feed just like dried up. Another great guy I miss talking to every month. Yeah, I remember when that all dried up. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, he had some great insights on that, came at it from an interesting vantage point, just, uh, Ton of fun to talk with every month. And then you, James, you have done 217 yeah. episodes. Wow. For 214 hours and 50 minutes. Not bad. Not bad no. at all. Not bad. I'm going to be putting in more work, though. I haven't stopped yet. No, no. You've been on for four years now, I think? Four years, because I have the date written here. <laughs> what date do you have? Okay. I got my first message from you on the forums, February 8th of 2018. Mm-hmm. My very first recording that was published was February 28th, 2018. And so, yeah, fe- this February 28th was my four-year anniversary. Cool. Yeah. I had it down as, uh, and I went by the release date. Oh, okay. And I had March 12th, 2018. So maybe I, oh, okay. maybe I don't have it right in my notes. That's always possible. Yeah, I went to the website and I looked it up. Weekly Comic Spotlight number 551, 228, okay. 2018. 
interesting. Maybe I just don't have it checked as I... In my Excel file, I've just bought, you know, an X in the column for the different ones, and that's all manual, so I can totally mess that up. Whereas on the website, I've checked, okay, as I'm releasing the episode, here was my co-host and stuff like that. So that that quite probably is more accurate. Yeah, I actually looked up all the stuff because I looked up the message, which is still in the forums. So, oh yeah, my back, you want my uh, little background as a co-host? Okay, I, okay, started, this is how I got into it. And I think you you have to correct me because one part I'm going to guess on. So I started getting onto the forums and I started posting stuff on the forums here and there. And then I started getting active with sending in preview spotlight clips. Mm-hmm. I remember I even recorded one when I was in Jamaica on my iPad. I was on vacation and sent it in. I brought my catalog because I was mm-hmm. like, I felt this need that I had to do it. You know, like I'm I'm joining in and I, you know, I'm part of the team. I got to do it. And I remember Drew used to always say, "Hey, send in the clips." So I felt like I had to do it. So, but I remember, uh, and I'm curious, did Eric tell you I bought a lot of stuff? He did. Okay, I figured Eric was the rat. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was shopping with Eric at that time, and I and I got a message from you, and it's funny, you know, it's you're gonna tell me how this is a public and how Drew's gonna be stepping down. And the next thing you said, you said you seem to read a fair number of titles. Is co-hosting the Weekly Comic Spotlight something you'd be open to considering? And I was like, he must know this from one things I'm saying or two. Eric ratted me out, <laughs> <laughs> so I figured it was Eric that told you. And I and I have the message I wrote back to you, and I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna miss Drew and all this stuff." And I'm, I definitely consider it. And I was so nervous because we did a practice recording where it wasn't even recording; you were just talking to me, yeah, over uh, Skype, yeah, it, to see if I had a personality and you know could actually carry on a conversation, probably. And that you're like, "Hey, let's record." And my our very first recording was episode 551 for the weekly comic spotlight, and we did DC the Terrifics which I give a B, you gave a B plus. Marvel, Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man, number 300, a big issue. We both gave it a B minus. And the other was G.I. Joe versus the $6 million man, which you gave a C plus and I gave a C minus. You definitely did your homework for this episode. That, yeah. I'm impressed. I pulled up the scores and everything. So That's I, funny. Yeah, so I had it all there. I was like, I was, that was the first live recording that we did. And yeah, anyways, and the rest is history. And I kind of been here through the pandemic, through your yeah. fam- the stuff that's happened with your family. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you were so flexible and stuff when my dad died and handling all of that. I, I couldn't have asked for a better co-host at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I try to be here for you as much as I can. So even with uh, stuff that pops up from time to time with other co-hosts, I'm like, if you need me, I'm here. Just let me know. <laughs> no, and again, totally appreciate that. I mean, I'm never happy to see a, a co-host, you know, step down or whatever, but over 15 years, it's going to happen. And sometimes, like with, with Chris, it's like he had his podcast going on, he's got the family, he's got kids. There's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. You know? So there, there's going to come a point where people, it's like, they're going to move on to other things. Yeah. You know? And then finding somebody else who can add a good vantage point, a good energy to the, the conversation and stuff, not easy. Yeah. And I, I think the one good thing about me that helps us work well together is my wife and I have been married for 22 years. We tried to have kids. We didn't have any luck with that. And so I don't have the whole kid commitment. And mm. It's just the two of us. And as long as I'm giving her enough attention, I'm good. <laughs> no, so, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes it makes it a little more flexible with me. So yeah. No, it's worked out great. I've been happy to have you on board. Yeah, it's been fun. So the next question I, I really love is, is what do you like most and least about podcasting? 
ah, what do I like most and least about podcasting? Okay, let me see. I had that written up here, and I know what I was going to do. The most is, believe it or not, the group and community that we have here on Comic Book Page and getting to know you more personally. The reason why I don't go to comic shops every week, I used to. And when you go to the comic shop, you used to chit-chat with the people, Mm -hmm. talk with some people. Sometimes I just grab my comics and leave because I'm in a rush. But, you know, you talk a little bit about comics. What's going on? Oh, look at this thing. Hey, check this out. And I feel like ever since I went to the mail order, I was missing that. And so the podcasts have kind of taken that place. And so, like, I listen to podcasts where when I'm driving, I listen to comic stuff if I'm I'm by myself. If my wife's in the car, I don't listen to comic stuff because she doesn't want to listen to it, (laughs) of course. (laughs) Right, right. Got to give her the attention she she deserves. Yeah. Yeah. She wants to listen to other stuff. But then the community part was really cool, too, because, like, I feel like even though I haven't met most of the people that are on the Slack channel a lot, I feel like I know them all very well. Like, they're my friends. We do Mm -hmm. book clubs. We do different things. I've seen these people on Zoom meetings and stuff. And so I feel like they're my friends in in a weird way, a a distant friend, someone I haven't met, but they're my friends. And so I like that that brought all of that, those things into my life. I feel like, you know, a few of the people have actually become my Facebook friends besides you. I mean, John, I've gotten to know you. I feel like I've gotten to know more about you and your family personally. Mm -hmm. But like I'm friends with Viking Joker, Marvin Daniels, or like Facebook friends. Vermont Omnibro, Travis Gervais, we're Facebook friends. Eric Helwig, you know, Eric from Cowabunga. Yeah, yeah. I even met Eric in, in Orlando once. So I feel like this little podcast has helped me meet people that I like and share my opinions on comics too. So sharing my opinions on comics and what I like and what I don't like, it's just like a nice besides because it's more the community stuff that I really enjoy about it. Totally understand that. Now the least, what do I like least about it? I the least was when it was when it's a very grindy schedule. Mm. With the weekly comic spotlight when we are doing that, things they become much better by the way. But we had to have a podcast by a certain date and time. We had to record typically like let's say it was Thursday. I yep. think it was. And if we didn't record on Thursday because our books were late and right now if we the books are always late it seems like we would be in trouble. They're always late. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know how we could do the weekly comic spotlight these days. Yeah, it's so we would record on Saturday sometimes, or I think we'd had emergency stuff where we recorded on a, a, a Sunday once, uh, but it was like it had to be done by that this time, and the because the podcast has to go up on Monday morning. If we had a vacation, we we're having to go and track down digital comics because we got to get content to review in a timely manner. So that the grind was very taxing. Is like. It became like a chore. But now with what we do, we record ahead. Sometimes we'll record multiple recordings. Sometimes we record twice in a week. Sometimes we record week, week, week. Sometimes we take a week or two off. Mm-hmm. And we were able to schedule around that. So it's been nice doing the monthly spotlight, which doesn't have to be done by this Monday or where we've missed it and we've broken your record of recording. And I, I, I will say I always dread the year-end spotlight because I don't know how long it's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I always dread it because I got to figure out what the hell did I read this year that I really like, and I wanna, I wanna be fair. I don't want to have the recency bias. I don't want to. It's like, geez, do I remember I what I got in January? Those sorts of things. I'm yeah. afraid I'm gonna forget it, and then we get to it, and it's like, I know it's gonna be three hours. I know it's, and then it went seven. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the stuff I didn't like. Now, all oh, the other thing I do not like, which I'm glad you police. I don't like politics on the Slack channel. I mm. hate that. So, but you, you took care of all most of that. 
So uh, what, what do you like and dislike about? Well, I've got an answer for both, but I'm going to start with an answer, uh, another answer that, that is both. Okay. Uh, the community. First off, I love the community. I think we've got a ton of great people, great conversation, and there are days where that just really makes my day and is just awesome. There have also been some times where the politics comes up or people butt heads. It doesn't happen often. Very rare, yeah. But it can be so frustrating and stressful for me that I'm glad it rarely happens. Me too. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, a great community we've got here. We've got some some great participation in, again, the questions we got for this episode, in the preview spotlight, stuff like that. So that's one that, you know, it's not all roses, but generally it's a great community and stuff and I love it. Yeah. So for me, the the stuff I love most about it is uh, the podcast and stuff is just getting into a good comic book related discussion. Yeah. You know, Very whether cool. it's on the the air as we record this, whether it's afterwards, whether it's just something that's on Slack after, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's it's a ton of fun. That's that's what I enjoy the most. Yeah. And, and honestly, one thing I left off, you've gotten me and me being a co-host has got me to read stuff that I never would have read. Mm-hmm. And opened up, I would say, new windows and new avenues of enjoyment for me in my life. Cool. Be- I, because I never would have read Green Arrow, or not Green Arrow, uh, Green Lantern, if I wouldn't have, if the whole rebirth wouldn't have happened and mm-hmm. I wasn't listening to your podcast. And so then I started reading it and I was like, man, I love Green Lantern. This is great. And it was Venditti. I just missed Jeff Johns, the best run. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I mean, it's kind of funny. And by the way, I was supposed to start with asking you that question. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah, don't worry about, it. With don't worry about it. it. I missed my check mark. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. We'll get through it all. Don't worry. Now, the part I like least, man, this was so easy of a question to answer. Yeah. What is that? The editing. The editing. <laughs> I do not enjoy it at all. It is crazy time consuming. It probably takes longer than it should have because I don't want to do it, but I feel obligated to. I mean, I want to do it because I want to have a good quality product at the end of the day, but I don't want to do it because it's no fun. And I mean, the numbers I've heard on how long it takes to edit a podcast kind of bear out to my experience. And that's like anywhere from two times to four times the length of the episode to record it, to edit it, to post it. That's not even counting prep time and some of that stuff. And I've had some where because... the conversation went so smoothly, there weren't false starts or whatever. I've had some that were just a breeze to edit, others that have taken me forever to do. And then, you know, if there's interruptions, background noise, or, you know, other things like that, I've had some where the amount that edits out is minimal, others where it's a noticeable chunk of time. And again, it's not fun to do, but I, I like to think that the 2100 and what did I say, 40 three, 44, or 45, 46 hours of content yeah. I've got out there is actual content, not page flipping as somebody's trying to find the next thing in previews to talk about or, or the equivalent. Or getting disconnected and spending, having five minutes of trying to reconnect to the person. Oh God, and you can't, I can't tell you how many times I had that at one point where it's like, crap, I've got to go find where that is in the episode and be sure to edit out that 30 seconds of dead air or the Oh, you back? I'm back. Are you back? I'm back. Okay, let's go. We you know. we had a recording like that. I don't know if it was you or me, but we had one recording where we kept dropping, and that was miserable. I remember that. Remember that. There was hey, a John, point. You there? You there? <laughs> about ten years ago, maybe, where I would do a previous teleconference every month. Yep. We would all just hop on 
Skype and, and talk about what's in previews and what's going on in the world type stuff. And I had one time where I would drop, I would get on long enough to say I'm back and then drop again. Oh. I literally dropped like a two dozen times that night. <laughs> so frustrating. You're like, I have the best cable company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're like, fiber optic is just outside my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the way, on a side note, AT&T has been working in my neighborhood this entire month of April so far. I will soon have fiber optic. Nice. Yeah, I'm moving on up. All right. So that brings me to the next question, which I, I have to put in the person's name who asked the question. It says, one of the things that drew me, Jason Z, because he's the one who answered this, mm -hmm. to comic book page podcasts was the comic book sales data and analysis. Do you wish data was still there in one place with more concrete numbers to help give more knowledge of the general state trends of the industry? Absolutely. I mean, I'd love to have the sales data still coming out. I mean, I, I think there is a ton to be learned by having third parties such as myself independently analyzing the sales trends, given what we see and stuff and, and putting it out there. And I think the industry is really missing out by not having that anymore. Now, that having been said, as I mentioned earlier, I don't miss spending an entire week and a month cleaning and crunching the numbers, writing the articles, only to say, hey, look, ICV2, you know, Comicron. I mean, again, <laughs> both are awesome sites, and I've got a ton of respect and admiration for both of those guys, Milton over at ICV2 and, and John Jackson Miller over at Comicron. But it's like, you know, when it's on my own Slack channel or forum, it's like, did they not look at my website? <laughs> and I know nobody means ill by that, but it... it you know, thin skin at times. What can I say? And what's funny is sometimes yours shows up a day or two before that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or when am I going to get mine up and I've already had it up for two days? You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> the, the only other thing that was worse was when I would get dissed because somebody didn't like what the numbers showed or understand what they measured as if it were my fault. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I miss the comic book page Mayo report because I, I miss the debate. Sam used to get sailed. Okay, Sam is great, but mm -hmm. sometimes he sounds so curmudgeon and grumpy, and him and Eric going back and forth over variant covers. I live for that moment. <laughs> it was just, it was hilarious because you saw the retailer perspective versus the guy who didn't doesn't like the gimmicks, and just hearing that, and then you're like the moderator in this thing. Mm -hmm. It was just hilarious. And then, but for real, the numbers were so cool. And then even the number estimates that come out from Comicron today, which are kind of guesstimates. They're fun to read. I think the you know the industry's doing pretty good, but we don't know exactly how good, but pretty good. But I, I do miss them, and I, I do miss the Mayo Report. It was it was one of my favorite recordings. I think I'd be happy to get it going again, but by my count, Diamond has stopped releasing the numbers at least three times. Yeah, maybe four. I'd have lost track because they actually came out again with index values for January or February, but then not since. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not going to spend the time to go spin my, my system back up, figure out how to deal with essentially a two-year gap in data, because I was doing trend analysis, and I can't do that if I've got this blind spot of two years. Yeah. You know? And if I thought that, one, they were going to come out on a regular basis, I would consider it. But then, two, they don't have Marvel and DC, or not all of Marvel, and they don't have any of DC. So it doesn't have the, the picture it used to have. Yeah, you might get 30% of Marvel or 40%. We just don't know. You get X percent of Marvel and you don't know. You get 0% of DC. Whereas prior to the pandemic, 
it was what was sold to the retailers in the direct market. Was that 100% of the sales? Absolutely not. Was it the controlling interest? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I always loved that. So it was just funny. I, re- I remember. Yeah. I remember well, those discussions with, uh, with, uh, with fondness in my heart. <laughs> Sam was always wondering why the, the industry was the way it was, because no sane person would design it that way. And the answer was that no sane person did design it that way. It just kind of evolved. It just turned into this because of snafus and what Marvel did and the collapse of this was the last man standing. <laughs> what happened at various key points? What would sell and why? And I mean... Is this a collectible market where it should be around stories? Absolutely, but collectibles are selling, stories aren't. Very true. So, I mean, yeah. not with me so much and not with you, but as a whole, yeah. If speculation is a, is a real thing. Yeah. Now, that brings us to our next question. How have your comic book buying habits changed over the years, average number of titles monthly when the podcast started compared to now? I mean, initially it, it increased a little bit. Then it nosedive because I was between jobs in late, I think it was 2007, early 2008. And that was fun. I was getting next to nothing and was was trying to figure out what am I going to do for the next weekly comic spotlight. That Yeah, fun times. <laughs> it rebounded from there. It got up to around like 50 or 60 a week at one point. Yeah. And then a couple of years back, I cut it back to a more manageable level. So at one point, it was like twice what it was when I had started the podcast and now it's probably about 80% what it was when I started the podcast. Maybe, I don't know, something like yeah. that. I, I don't have exact numbers. Uh, with me, just so you know, like I bought a lot of comics. When I, when I said a lot of comics, not as many as you were buying at your height, but I would guesstimate probably in the neighborhood of, let's say, 120, 130 mm-hmm. a month. When I became the co-host, I felt like I needed to read more DC because I, did, I got some stuff with Rebirth, but I wasn't. And I felt like I needed to read more. And so I'm like, I feel like I got to know this stuff. So I went up to almost that 200 a month level. I I was getting 180 to 200, somewhere in that range. And it was kind of, that was taxing because I remember I was almost in this pattern where I have to read seven comics a day. If I don't read seven comics a day, I'm going to get behind. Seven a day, seven a day. (laughs) I totally appreciate you doing that, but I sure hope I didn't put any pressure on you to do that. No, I did it to myself. (laughs) Because, like, I, I don't know what made me do that, it, some kind of insanity, and I felt like I needed to be an expert, probably because of what I do, you know? I, I just feel like I need to be an expert in well, insurance they, and financial stuff, so... There's some people, if, if they're going to talk publicly about something, they want to know what they're talking about. Yeah. And I respect I, that. And what I found out, though, is my brain can only hold so much information, and so I was reading more but retaining less and less, and that might be an age thing. And so, literally, I cut back... Not as steeply as you did, but I'm currently getting 85 to 90 comics a month on average. And so that, that's where I've been, These which you can know, chop that up by the week however you want to. Mm-hmm. But it's about 85 to 90 a month, 80 and 90, you could say. And I'm comfortable there. And I, besides that, I, though, I get a lot of trades, a lot of manga. The trades are I, – I've stopped buying paperback trades. I get hardcovers to read stuff for a shelf that I one day intend to buy. <laughs> I have not bought it yet. <laughs> and I've been buying a lot of manga, so I've almost read my whole stack of trade paperbacks. So now I'm moving into manga next when I finish up my last few trades. I'm on Irredeemable right now by Mark Wade. Cool. That's Reading some that. good stuff. Yeah. So anyways, but that's where I am right now. So I, I think I read too much, and but I'm still reading a good amount. I think I'm averaging 75 to 80 or so a month, give or take. 
So you're a little bit less than me, yeah? Yeah, about 75 over the last year and a half or so. All right. So we're, we're, we're roughly in the same ballpark. I'm a little bit more than you. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. The problem I'm having is not just that I'm reading less, but as I'm flipping through the different catalogs, I'm finding less that I want to read. Yeah, I kind of feel that way too. Like, I'm go- I know I'm going to get it, and I did a preview spotlight clip, but honestly, I got to say, I'm not ex- excited for like Axe. Avengers, X-Men, Eternals. Mm-hmm. So like, I just kind of groaned when I saw that. I was like, uh. And, you know, like DC, you know, like the Aquaman thing. I think that's canceled, but I didn't want to read that. I'm like, there's just a lot of stuff I'm like, eh. There was a time where kind of the running joke on the forum was, how far could I go into the DC catalog before I'd found something I wasn't getting? <laughs> and usually I could make it a pretty good ways through. Wow. These days, uh, not so much. Yeah, you can flip a few pages. I, I'm not getting this. I'm not getting this. Yeah. Yeah, it's changed. And I'm still hoping for something good to come out of this Discovery merger, and I'm hoping for something good after Dark Crisis, but DC's been hurting recently, unfortunately. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Which brings us to our next question. Have you ever considered changing over to digital for singles and epic collections and omnibus collections for classic runs you really enjoy? Yes and no. Okay. I I think if I'd understood what the epic collection was when it started and kind of had the faith it would continue like it actually turned out to have continued, then I think I really would have gotten on board when it started. So I chalk that with the epic collections in particular up to bad marketing on their part. Yeah. Because I was an easy mark for that and they failed to get me. Yeah. And now there's enough of them out there there that it's kind of hard to start in late. Yeah, because right now you're like, oh, I'd have to come up with like $1,500 to get caught up or something. I need to come up with a couple of bookcases first. That's the bigger challenge. that too. (laughs) That and, you know, Eric's poor back as he had to load the boxes to ship all that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, getting collected editions of things I really enjoy, I've literally done that for decades. It's just not a large percentage of my purchasing. It's not a big focus for me, but I've got tons of collected editions. Maybe not as much as like Vermont Omnibro and a few others that just have some beautiful bookcase photos and stuff they've shown. Just wonderful collection. But again, I've got a fair amount. I just, again, don't focus on that. Would I go over to digitals for the singles and such? Part of it for me is I buy to own, not to rent, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And a digital comic is a long-term quasi-rental. It is. You know, if if Amazon up and says, okay, we're shutting down Comixology, or we've gotten in a fight with, with you know, Marvel or, or whatever, and it's off the platform, boom, you got it no more. That's it. You know, that's why I've dabbled a little and at times subscribed to the Marvel digital comic stuff. I've got the DC one right now. Um, they're handy, but it's a rental. I'm buying it to have access for the month. Either I get my money out of it or I don't, but I don't have the comics. No, that makes sense. With me, I've thought about this a lot because I I look at what I spend on comics and I'm like, man, I spend a lot of money. And and now I'm buying a lot of other stuff. I buy a lot of Omnibus, I buy manga. So Vermont Omnibro and I buy about the same amount of Omnibuy, (laughs) which is insanity. I'm just addicted to the format. I get that Mm -hmm. big book. I open it up. It's heavy and wieldy, but when I'm reading it, the paper quality is amazing. The, it's bigger. I can see the images better, and it just feels good, you know, like reading it like that. It, it just feels, wow, I feel, when I read something, I feel like I accomplished something. Wow, mm-hmm. I read that. 
which is weird. I don't know what that is. It's it's a, an addiction. <laughs> but I I love having that stuff. With the singles, it's it, I, I look at it sometimes. I'm like, man, this is so hard to maintain and so hard to organize. And mine's not organized, and it, it, it causes me stress. So sometimes I'm like, man, I I want to go digital just to have have it organized digitally, and I can pull it up on my beautiful iPad Pro and read it. And if I want to go get the hardcover, I can read it in a hardcover collection for the best stuff. You know, wow, I really loved uh, Civil War. Here's a hardcover. Boom, this is nice. So I've actually considered it, but I haven't done that yet. Will I do it one day? I don't know. It's something I think about from time to time because I Mm -hmm. just look at the money I spend, you know, and I'm like, wow, I can have DC and the Marvel app and then just buy the best of the indies, just read some reviews, you know, get the preview spotlight. I, I definitely do think about it and it's tempting. I would say. I can understand that, but I don't think the digital platforms are there yet to be worth cutting over as a replacement for your collection. Yeah. I mean, as I've been doing some research for the uh, the Legion Spotlight, I've been surprised how huge of a gap they've got in some classic stuff at DC. Yeah, you were saying that a lot of comics were missing. There are a couple where it's like, okay, you've got these, but it's like you don't have the first, most of the first, like, 300 issues of like, I forget if it was action or adventure or whichever. I mean, they've got a few early ones, but there are a couple where it's like, yep, if it's in this decade range, the odds of it being on there are, you know, one out of 500 or something like that. Yeah. And I get they can't get everything up there all at once. It's going to take a while for them to get good copies to scan in or to remaster or whatever, but they've also had that platform up for a couple of years. Very cool. So, yeah. Well, that brings us to our next one, which is generally, what are your five favorite characters slash teams in comics, and what were your favorite runs with those characters, or what is a standalone series graphic novel that you enjoyed most? And I'll let you go first. Again, I've read 70,000-ish comics, so... <laughs> Recency bias. The name the top is, is not an easy one to do. I, I literally spent a lot of last night prepping some notes for this episode, for these sorts of questions in particular. In no particular order, I, I gotta go with New Teen Titans, classic Wolfman Perez era. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cannot go wrong with that. You have got to read that at some point. Legion of Superheroes, I'm gonna go early to mid-1980s is the high point, but I've, I've loved er- multiple eras of that. A few, not so much. Five years later, mainly, but, you know, I'm gonna come with that clean eyes when I get to that in Legion Spotlight eventually. Cool. Justice League of America, the Satellite Era in particular, and the JLA-JSA crossovers over the decades. Yep. Classic stuff. Astro City, I think, is just brilliant. Yep. Good stuff. And then my last one, I've already got... uh, This would be the fifth one, actually. The last one's a little different type of a a slant on on the question, and I'm going to go with Mark Grunewald's Marvel Universe, which Ah. isn't actually a title or anything. Like, his run on Captain America and Quasar and the other stuff he both wrote and kind of had a heavy hand in when he was editor-in-chief. Ah, very cool. Very cool. That's- he was he was just a, a brilliant guy, an insane continuity buff. I mean, he just knew it inside and out. Awesome guy, and it was a major loss for the industry when, when he died. Yeah, it, it really was. Well, for mine, okay, let's see. It was, my favorite character is the Hulk, as far as like mm. you know, comic book characters go. My best, the best runs of the Hulk for me were like Planet Hulk, World World War Hulk, 
the Peter David Maestro minis have been excellent. Mm-hmm. And Dan Abnett, Abnett's Immortal Hulk was very good. Those are ter- all terrific runs, so read any of those. Then I move into my Conan stuff, and I literally ain't all of it. No. <laughs> the, the best of Conan has got to be the King Conan stuff that Marvel did, and Savage Short of Conan, that is the best. The black and white, a little bit more mature magazine, uh, like Hour of the Dragon, fantastic. Mm-hmm. fantastic. Okay, then I move on to, and I'm admitting to recency bias with this. I put in Thor because of Simonson, Jason Aaron, and Donnie Cates were all fantastic. They're all working for me, and they did work for me. The, all, all those runs were terrific, and even have Lee. Uh, you know, that's Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Right, Kirby's. right, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Okay, now, then I went with an indie. I said, my favorite indie comic, and this was a book club, and Eric was on that, what, and you actually read it, Why the Last Man? Mm-hmm. I think it's a fantastic series. I think the TV series was a travesty. It should be, be redone. Whoever was on that should be fired. And let's restart and make it more like the uh, actual comic, which was really good. But it's, it's terrific because I think people who don't like comics can read it and would like it. It's written in a manner where it's almost like that um, that cliffhanger, almost like reading Lost or watching Lost right, the TV right. series. You end on that cliffhanger. Oh, I got to read the next thing. Well, and there were times Lost really mastered that beautifully, and other times it's like, oh, guys, come on, move forward. Exactly. And that's a Brian K. Vaughn thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then I went with a very, very recency bias, and because I wanted to put in something different, on the manga side, I went with Attack on Titan. It's different. You have to be in the mood for, for manga, because it is a different animal. It's a different culture, and I'm glad that you and Eric have been you know, doing some back-issue spotlights on stuff. Mm-hmm. High stakes drama. There's kaiju giants in there, and a huge mystery behind the entire world that slowly unfolds. And Hajime Isiaka, I think, is the guy who who did it. He wrote it, and he did the art on it. Just amazing the amount of time that he put into this. And I, I think it's for a first manga where I read it from beginning to end. I couldn't have picked a better title. I thought it was fantastic. And I'm even watching the anime because it's enjoyable. And I still don't know the freaking ending because the seventh massive omnibus (laughs) or colossal edition of Attack on Titan still doesn't come out till September, but I love it up through the first six. But I'm waiting for the seventh. So I still don't know the ending. And the anime is on a hiatus now at episode 87. So I'm stuck in limbo. (laughs) Son of a gun. (laughs) At least there's more coming. There's more coming, and it's done. It's like, come on, let's hurry up the production. <laughs> so anyways, that, that those were some of my top five picks. Cool. That brings us up to the next question we have. As a longtime comics fan, when the comics runs or characters are changed or reinvented, how do you balance staying positive versus being critical or negative with the change? What is it that makes you continue staying with the run, hoping for a better turn, or what makes you jump off until the characters slash series until it improves. For example, I, Jason Z, continue to buy Legion superheroes comic runs, even though right now I've not been a huge fan of the current writer. Another example, however, was the Earth 2, the New 52 JSA run, which I dropped off after a year or so, as I could no lo- not recognize the JSA characters being portrayed. It felt like the JSA in name only. Okay, it's, it's interesting, both of those you point out, the current Legion run by Bendis, love it or hate it, is a totally different Legion than we had before. Okay. Likewise, the Earth 2 New 52 stuff was a completely different Earth 2 and JSA than we'd had before. 
So to say he didn't recognize the characters is a very fair statement. Okay. Now, for me, I don't mind change, but I don't like change for the sake of change, or worse yet, to, you know, quote-unquote, fix things. Yeah. And I'm an analytical person by nature. I can critique something without hating it in any way, shape, or form. And I, I don't always think everybody understands that about me. You know, I'll say something, uh, it's critical about it, and they're like, oh, you must hate that. It's like, no, I just thought they could have done that better. And I used to have enough faith and patience that I would ride through the low points on titles to be able to really enjoy the high points when they got to them. Uh You know, again, I was all in on Marvel and DC, and let me tell you, there were some points for every title, there's going to be a point where it's not firing on all cylinders. Yeah. It just happens. But being all in meant understanding what was happening in the Marvel and DC universes and such, and really getting the full potential out of those great stories. Now, these days, as I mentioned, there's more in the DC Connect catalog that I'm not interested in than I am interested in. I don't think I would have imagined, certainly when I started this podcast, or even two years ago, saying that. And, And time was, I was getting nearly every DC Universe comic they published. And what they've published has changed. I think the target audience they're going after has changed. and I've changed. Now, all of that having been said, I still haven't dropped The Avengers or Batman Detective or a couple other things that I've been, I think, on almost every one of the monthly comic spotlights saying, yeah, it's not so good, I should drop it, you know, sort of comments. And I feel that way, but I'm a little slow to pull the trigger on that because I'm also a little slow to get back on a title I've gotten off. That makes sense. And there are a couple I've gotten off that if I knew then what I know now, there's I, I can think of one or two in particular, I would flip the decision I made. That makes sense. I, I don't think I should have gotten off Daredevil when I did. That makes sense. Yeah. That's that's one of the go-to examples at the moment. And there are a few others that after I read it, I'm like, yeah, I should have skipped this. You know, it's funny you say that because we, we kind of mirror each other a little bit. It, it, although I would say I, I can be analytical, but sometimes I get emotional too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, okay, Wonder Woman is, is the title that came to mind for me. I was reading Wonder Woman when uh, Rucka was writing it, and I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. There were so many writer changes in there. And at one point, it got to a point, I can't remember, it wasn't the current writer, but it was the writer before the current writer, <laughs> that I just was not enjoying it. Month, you know, st- month in, month out, I was like, this is just horrible. I was reading it when it turned into like an Asgardian theme, and I thought that was cool. And then it got weird. And I was like, what are we doing here? She's floating around as a this white character in space. And I was just like, I'm out. And then I kind of regret that because I think it got better after that, I think. But I don't know. But other people were telling me, oh, she's finally coming back to Earth right when I dumped it. Well, it got better, but then it started this trial of the Amazons. And it's like, I'm not getting most of the chapters of that. Ah, so I missed the good part, but now I missed another really bad part. Okay, so now I don't feel so bad. <laughs> Well, it's one of those things when you've got the peaks and the valleys that close together and stuff, it's like going over a speed bump. You hit it the wrong thing. It just really knocks you out. Yeah. Boom, boom. With me, what's become interesting is I get almost like these emotional outbursts when I'm doing my order. I know that sounds weird, and I don't want to make myself sound like an overly emotional person, but I'm like, when I was getting too much, I'm like, I'm just getting too much. I'm cutting back. I'm cutting. Mm -hmm. I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. I just boom, 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 boom. I cut a bunch of stuff. And then, you know... Sometimes, like, a couple months later, I'm like, Eric, can you go find this one for me? Because maybe I shouldn't have cut that at that time. And it, he gracefully goes and digs it up out of the back issues. And But it's rare. But I've gotten it down to a manageable thing where I'm happy with what I'm getting mostly now. I've cut it down to where 
I can control it and I'm good. I'm much more judicious with what I add. I, uh, I let titles just naturally peter out. So if I'm not adding a ton of things, my list naturally gets smaller. You taught me that. Mm-hmm. And so I just got to be very, very careful about adding new things because you get excited. Like Dynamite, I say, is the ultimate publisher for hyping things. Oh, yeah. You, you get there and I'm like, oh, I got all, so excited. I was looking at um, the Red Sonia from Japan. I forget what they call it. Samurai Sonia. I was like, this looks awesome. And it's not on the order form. I think it's already canceled, you know, before oh, wow. it even came out. It, it wasn't even on the order form. I was like, ah, it's probably one of those titles that got canceled. I'm like, yeah. Ah, it'd be worth checking. Yeah, I, I'm going to email him. I'm going to message him. I'm like, is this done? Because one time I messaged him, I'm like, hey, this is missing off the order form. He's like, oh, it's already canceled. I was like, man. I, I have noticed, though, that there have been some times where something isn't on the order form. And if you look closer in the catalog, it says to use the order code from like a month ago. Ah, maybe that's what it is. And I think when the different distributors started up, Diamond's got a pretty much it's a calendar month kind of a thing. I'm not as convinced Lunar and uh, Penguin Random House, if they're not maybe, well, if if the Tuesday is in the week, we'll count the whole week. You know, they feel like they're a little off because there's stuff that at the beginning of end of a month, it's like it's in the catalog, but not on the order form or vice versa or something. I don't know. I, I'm not convinced the distributors are all in sync with what's coming out or what gets solicited when, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes perfect sense. Now, on the character change thing that he was talking about, I think it can be done good and it can be done poorly. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that, when we went from Wolverine, which – and that just happened to come up on the Slack today. So that's the first thing that came to mind. And I'm going to talk about Thor too. So Wolverine, we were all reading the Wolverine thing, and he died and got covered in adamantium, whatever. He's back. But, you know, he, there's a little bit of cleansing. You know, let's do the pictures, no, not showing him smoking a cigar, whatever. But we had the all-new Wolverine. I was excited. That was mm-hmm. Tom Taylor. It was great. It was one of the one of the best runs of Wolverine there was. It and was it a great was, read, yeah. And it was Laura. It was not, you know, the, the Wolverine that we grew up with. And so I, I think that was terrific. Wolverine's back. She's still relevant. And I still like that character because of that run. I think Thor with Jane Foster, that was excellent. There are some people who are like, they're getting rid of Thor. I'm like, no, he was in the book the entire time. He, he never disappeared. And that, that was done well, and it made sense, and it was part of the story. But then there's other times where they take characters and they just change them for no reason out of the blue, and Wally West comes to mind, changing the essence of who they are. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's not right. <laughs> and I think that's done poorly. That's done to frustrate the reader and it's hard to stay positive when that happens it actually is irritating at that point and it gets you to a point where like i don't read tom king right now that's where i am if it's tom king i just don't buy it i recall hearing about an interview with a tv writer who was explaining they killed off a particular character on the show because it was a fan favorite and they knew it would get a reaction now let's think about that it was a fan favorite character yeah so let's kill them off that's the kind of mindset i've seen many a time in comics yeah this is really cool, or I'm going to do it for the shock and R. it'll get a reaction, or, you know, they love this character, so let me do this to them. And, and there comes a point where it's like, that's just a bad idea. I mean, I get the writer's job is to make the character's life horrible so they have something to overcome, but there are right ways and wrong ways to do that. Yeah, there are. There's ways where it can be done respectfully, and then there's ways where it's a gimmick. And then when you feel like you're, it's a gimmick, you feel used a little bit. Oh, yeah, totally. And I think we're hitting that really right now a lot at DC where they've got this 
next group of characters waiting in the wings to be Batman, Superman, Aquaman, Flash, Wonder Woman, etc. And it's as if we're going from, you know, into the Silver Age and those replaced with the Golden Age characters, but the difference is the Silver Age happened because most of the Golden Age characters had fallen by the wayside. Yeah. Here, these are kind of kicking out the the older characters. Let's take these most popular things that people really still like, get rid of them and throw in these ones that they don't people don't necessarily like or want. And it becomes their substitute characters, not a new version of beloved characters that have fallen by the wayside. And then I think you've angered your readership, and they speak by not buying. The vote with your wallet is one that I've always had issues with, because it's it's not a very articulate vote. Yeah, true. Are, are people not buying it because they don't like it, or because, well, just they're broke, there's too much coming out, or they don't care? Yeah, so, it, it needs to be a voice to the uh, the editors, too. <laughs> Yeah, but then they'll ignore it because, oh, that's just the, the, the complaining group or something. Yeah, the, these guys, they just don't like change. They can't handle exactly. change. Yeah, frustrating. It, it's it's sometimes disappointing. Disappointing. And what we see right now, we they've been talking about the Justice League's dead. For how long now? Two months? Three months? You, you know, it's funny because I finally read the uh, Superman Son of Kal-El issue where he comes out to, to his mother. Oh, okay. That they had spoiled back in, what, January? And I'm reading it now in April? Yeah. <laughs> the news cycle had long since passed, and I've forgotten about it. And it's like, oh, yeah, I guess they did announce that way back when. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they've been talking about them dying forever, and I see these characters lined up, and I'm just it, – it leaves me a little less than thrilled, I would say. I'm just not excited about it. Well, imagine how big of a deal it could have been if, you know, you find out because you read the comic. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Can you imagine what a big surprise? Wow. Shock and awe. Boom. I mean, I, I know it's outrageous to think that the storyteller should tell the story, but, you know, I'm 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 crazy that way. <laughs> One of those out-of-the-box thinkers. <laughs> You're nuts. <laughs> All right. Next question? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'll read this one. All right, go ahead. <laughs> How do you decide which titles you all put into the preview spotlight? Especially if you have multiple items. It sometimes goes over 50 items per month for you guys. How do you dwindle down the list for the preview spotlight? Actually, I'll go first since you read the question. And I actually have a system for this. I don't know if you have a system. Okay, I go through my previews, my Connect, and my Marvel's previews, I guess it's mm -hmm. called, uh, with a red Sharpie. And I have a system. Check mark by things that I'm getting. X's by things I want to cancel. I do not want to continue getting. And I put an asterisk and a check by things that I want to do a preview spotlight in. So when I'm reading the solicits, if I'm like, man, this sounds really good, I put an asterisk beside it. And so I'll usually have about, let's say, I'm very... 30 or 40, you're going to do clips? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I, I could. No, it's not too bad. It's usually about 15 or, or 16 that have asterisk. And I can usually dwindle that down to like 10 or 12. So it's not too bad, but that's literally my system. If I see an asterisk, I stop on that page. And I'm like, do I really want to do this one? I check the forum. I'm like, did anyone record one on this one yet? All right, cool. I'll do this. Boom. And I'm off. That's a good system. That That's my whole system. For me, what I tend to do is I get the downloads of what's in each of the catalogs. It's a text file. I'll toss that into a, a an editor. And as I'm going through the catalogs, I'll just be you know, deleting out, it's like, yep, not getting this, not getting this, and paring it down to kind of what's going to be my order. And so I do that 
and sometimes I can even do that without having to go through previews in terms of, I know I'm not going to be getting certain titles. Others, eh, I don't know. But I go through, figure out what I'm getting. Out of what I'm getting, I'll then pull out a number of things that I think I feel positive enough to actually recommend. And then I kind of tune that list based on what other people have submitted. And sometimes I'll drop an item if a number of people have already mentioned it or got a really good, you know, clip from somebody. Uh, sometimes I'll just, you know, echo somebody else's recommendation or nobody talked about it. And it's like, yeah, I am going to talk about this. Yeah. By the way, thank you for calling out Tom Zoller. I would have missed that. I try. That's to me the whole point of the preview spotlight is I could have so easily have missed that myself if I'd been in a rush. And that's there have been a number of things over the years where I totally would have missed something if somebody hadn't sent in a clip, recommended it, or at least got my attention towards it. I'm just still amazed you found that because that's a publisher I never heard of. And what made you stop there? I'm thankful you did. <laughs> uh, to me, it's a matter of going through everything in previews and just I recognized the property. Because ah. I knew, I think I'd seen either the postcard for it or something like that on his table at Comic-Con. And you're like, oh, I've seen this before. Yeah, huh. so it's like, I, I knew it was a web thing, so I don't know if the web company had hooked him up for this publishing or what the deal is, but anything Tom Zolly does, I'm pretty much, but except for like My Little Pony. I gotta draw the line somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but any of his creator-owned stuff, I'm pretty much down for. He's just a great creator. Yeah, he he is. And I, I don't – does IDW still do My Little Pony? I think so. I I don't know because I don't follow it. If they lost that property, they may that may be why he's not doing it at IDW. Just curious. Don't know. Anyways, I don't well, I don't follow the pony, so I have no clue. He had Loving Capes and his his other stuff over there, so – Yeah, it was terrific. Yeah, it, I, I, I don't know what his publishing plans are these days, so I hope he just does more of stuff. Me too. He's a great writer. Yeah. That brings us to our next question, and this one's from Dr. Mill. What were some of your favorite titles to read during or around the year 2000, and why? Okay, the year 2000 was a long time ago. I think we can legitimately use around the turn of the century at this point, since we're far enough <laughs> yeah. away from it. And I, I honestly do not recall if something I had what was coming out back then, but I had a little time last night, so I did a little digging, which means I went through the shipping lists for the first month or so of, of 2000 and said, what would I have gotten? So what I think I would have been excited about would have been Legion of Superheroes slash Legionnaires, Astro City, JSA. Ah. But really, the 2022 me has a hard time answering this. If you asked the 2000 me or dropped the 2022 me into a comic shop in 2000, I could do a way better job answering this sort of question. Yeah, because that's, yeah, that's 22 years ago. I mean, I was a completely different person. But I I, can't, I do remember what I was getting, honestly. I was getting nothing in the year 2000. That was one of the times I was literally out of comics. Mm. But the first thing I can remember getting after that, and it was several years after that, I went, I think it was to Atomic Comics, but it was Civil War. That got me back in the comic shop to pick up Civil War. That would have been 2006. Yeah. Yeah, that was probably the first thing that got me going back. I'm like, I, I boom, I want to read the Civil War thing. And I picked it up, and I read some other titles. I read some Hulk stuff right around then. And then I dabbled here and there, you know, in and out, starting up a business right around then. And it wasn't until basically Avengers versus X-Men and the A-plus X that I really got heavier into it, heavier into reading again. Interesting. It's funny you mentioned Civil War, because I remember doing an episode of Ian Levenstein's Comic Timing podcast, and the episode was around the delay of Civil War. I think it was number four. Yeah. And that was a big deal because 
things were happening in other titles based on what was happening in Civil War. So when they delayed that, they delayed numerous other Marvel titles to the point that some retailers, and I think Brian Hibbs might have been one of them, were legitimately up in arms of, what do you mean you're holding back, you know, Avengers or Fantastic Four or whatever for a month until this other thing comes out? They're like, I need to sell books. <laughs> I, I got to have the books to sell. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So definitely it was a big deal at the time. Yeah, I remember that. That I bought those, and then I remember that Avengers vs. X-Men, A plus X, that's really when I started getting back, back mm-hmm. into the monthly thing. And it my, my, my list just started growing from there. It started off with like a few titles, and then you know three turned into six, turned into eight, turned into 12, and you know just kind of expanded from there. But if you're doing a good job on the books you're on, you're more likely to get other books. If they're doing a good job on the shared universe, you're absolutely more likely to get other books. Yeah, there's a local shop that here called, oh, what's it called? I can't even remember. Central Comic Shop. And yeah, every time I go in there, he talked me into getting like one or two more titles. Be like, you need to check this out. You really like this? Get this. And sure enough, I liked it. But man, he was good at selling me. I was an easy mark. I, I can't tell you how important a really good comic shop can be for those kinds of things. Yeah. There was one of the workers at Comic Gallery in Mira Mesa. His name was Joe. And he was amazingly well-read because he had to be, I don't know, maybe 20 at the time. And it I, I kid you not, it seemed like every week when I would go in there, he's like, hey, have you checked this book out? Duncan's Kingdom. Hmm, what's that? I don't know. No, I haven't checked that out. Why would I get that? And he'd give me a sales pitch on it, and it would be a good sales pitch, not just, oh, it's a good book because, but you would like it because. Yeah. And... I cannot tell you how many things I picked up. And every once in a while, there'd be a swing and a miss. But generally, his hit rate was amazingly good. And this was, again, I was pretty much all in at Marvel and DC. To upsell me, essentially, on something else is not a trivial matter. Oh, yeah. I was very favorably impressed. Great guy. Well, uh, you know what? I'm going to tell you, mention something else. Eric from Cowabunga. Eric on Mm -hmm. the Slack channel. Um, Every now and then, he'll just send me a random message this is on FOC. You're, you'll like this. Or blah, blah. I get it, and I love it. He just mentioned a, a manga. He's like, get this. I'm like, all right, sign me up. Boom, done. And I usually, he knows what I like, and which is cool because he's a pretty good size shop. He's pretty big. Yeah. But he yeah. still knows what I like because we're, we're friends. But also, I trust him enough when he, every now and then, he's a very busy guy, you know, has mm-hmm. a lot going on. Whenever he sends in a preview spotlight clip, whatever he sends in the clip on, I would always buy it. So, I mean, just for him, if he could send in a clip once a month, I'd probably be buying more stuff just for him. We need to let him know that. <laughs> Somebody who can give good recommendations, I think that is is worth its weight in gold and not something I claim to do. Yeah. I, I consider giving recommendations to be a fair amount of pressure because I know what I like. I know often what's out there. But if I don't understand what you like and why you like it, I mean, I had one time I went into a comic shop here in town and, you know, again, I was getting everything under the sun, but I'm like uh, asking the person who works there, what do you recommend? Ah, there's this book over here. I I like it. That was the sales pitch. All right. (laughs) That wasn't enough for me to pick up Walking Dead number four. Yeah. Wow. You could have been in that early. Yeah. And if the, the person had taken a... It's not like I didn't know the guy. He he just didn't care enough about uh, me or or the sale or, or, you know what I mean, any of it to have been invested enough to actually give it a little bit of thought to understand what I like and why, even though this is not something 
that is remotely in my wheelhouse, why it would have been a good thing for me to have gotten. Now, granted, at that point, maybe it wouldn't have been the right thing for me to have gotten. Yeah, I just had an epiphany. It just popped into my head. It just applies to my business and everything. And Brian Hibbs, everything you just said just clicked with me. Brian Hibbs, he used to write on his Tilting at Windmills. He said it multiple times about hand-selling comics Mm -hmm. and walking a customer over and saying, here's what you need to, and here's why, and explaining and how his sales multiplied by doing that and people began to trust him. And he was able to actually increase his sales because he would be like, this is what I recommend, leaving stuff out. And people be like, I know this guy. If he's saying to read that, I'm buying it. And just amazing how that can happen. It, it, the same thing happens like in all the modern world. Everything's become so cold with like Amazon shopping or mm-hmm. in my industry, insurance shopping. People could think, oh, I'll go on to Geico or Progressive and I just buy it. They don't know why they're getting what they get or what they get or they don't even know what they have. you know. And then their accident happens. They're like, oh, I don't have coverage for that. Oh, that's not. Oh, that's it. Yeah. And, and that's where I come in. I'm like, this is why you need this. This is how this works. This is how blah, 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 blah. And explaining it and saying why it's important. And people change their whole perspective on what they're doing. And I'm like, ah, oh, just an epiphany in my head. I want to do some training with my team now. <laughs> well, if, if you've got that trusted relationship, it makes a world of difference. It really does. And it takes some time up front to establish that trust, to establish that that shared knowledge base of what the other person is looking for either in life or in comics or whatever. And it takes some time to hand sell that first comic or two. But once you've done that and you've got a good enough batting average, then down the line, provided you've kept up on what they're still reading and what's still coming out and and you're still putting the effort into making the pick, you don't have to put as much effort into making the sale. Exactly. Exactly. So, man, that, that was a cool little topic. Good question, Dr. Mel. Yeah, great question. All right. Next question from Dr. Mo. And this one goes to 2000 again. So we'll, we'll have to kind of adjust here. How has your perspective on reading and consuming comics and graphic novels evolved over the last 2000 episodes or since the year 2000? For me, I really think creators need to write more accessible stories. Yeah. They tend to bank on readers practically memorizing issues so they remember things six months down the line when the attempt at the payoff is done. And I mean, like we were talking about uh, Erratic and how yeah. they reused two pages from the first issue in the fifth. And you had said by the time you got to the fifth, you totally forgotten those pages that had already been used in the first. Yeah. How good is the story if you've forgotten it by the time it ends? Very true. You know, and it, it's funny if you go back to like the first weekly comic spotlight, there's a, a first issue we did of, oh, shoot, I don't even remember the title. Foxwood Falcons or something like that. Okay. Fun title. I think that was the issue that was published. And there are a couple where it's like, it, it goes out, poof, it's gone. Others, like non-player. I thought the first issue was brilliant. A second issue did come out. A third issue, I don't know, ever will. It's not been, I don't think the series has been officially canceled. It's just coming out, you know, once, maybe twice a decade. <laughs> once or twice a decade. If you're telling a serialized story that way, man, that's... That's, uh, words fail me on this. Yeah, that's pretty bad. (laughs) Egotistical is the word that comes to mind. (laughs) Impractical comes to mind. Maybe it's not non-player, but non-starter. That's true. And it was, again, not a bad, not a bad comic. So I, I think my perspective on reading and consuming comics has changed significantly. Maybe even a lot of it just within the last few years. 
of I am less patient on some books, I am less forgiving on some things, and if they don't want me as a reader, I don't mind dropping the book. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I, I have a bunch of like little thoughts that came to my mind. I, I, that's what the best way. I listed mm-hmm. some thoughts. Continuity can be wonderful. It can also kill and shackle books, depending on the writer. Trades and hardcovers read better than singles uh, as I aged. And I, I, I literally put that as I have aged. I forget where I read this, but I had read some article online where somebody was basically, you know, I marathoned this and I loved it. But then when the next season came out, I was, yeah, it was okay. <laughs> but that had happened on enough titles that they were convinced it wasn't that they were jumping on as everything was jumping the shark. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but because the story had an increased momentum because they could plow through it as quickly or slowly as they wanted to, it was able to... to really hold up, whereas when it's then doled out so slowly afterwards, it loses momentum. It, it, it does. I'm noticing uh, piecing the stories together and waiting months to get pieces of story, mm-hmm. it, it, it's getting harder as I age. Yeah. And so when I read a full like book, it's easier. That's, that's just with age. It's something with me. So I'm like, I'm finding that with myself now. There, there's the age factor, but I think there's also... Momentum. Well, every day that ticks by, there's more things competing for our attention. Yep. So I think even a 20-year-old me right now would have a hard time following everything because there's so much going on in the world. Yeah, I read this story, then I went and I played a video game, I did, went to work, or I did my homework if I'm still in school. Mm-hmm. I did this, I played some sports, or I watched a football game, and now a month later I get this other story. What what was going on? Oh, yeah. And that's hard. I could name three or four things that happened just within the last two weeks that have probably bumped a couple of stories out of my memory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it happens. Some other things that thoughts I've had, if you're not all in, things can lose meaning today. Mm-hmm. If you go back in time and a heavy event, you get lost that we just experienced that with you and Blackest Night. Well, absolutely, because you've got no context. Exactly. Not having that context can affect the story. And enjoy and read what you want when you want. I think you'll be happier with that. Mm -hmm. Don't feel like you have to read something, but read what you want and when you want to read it. And I'm starting to think this was in reference to that question that digital and collections may be the future of this industry. I don't know. I'm not saying that as a proclamation, this will be the way it is, but maybe that is the future that we're headed towards. I don't know. You know, at one point I thought collected editions were the future. Yeah. And that they would take over as the primary income stream over the monthly comics. And they did. Because it was, it was looking that way at one point, but it never panned out. And then people was like, oh, well, digital's absolutely going to do that. And I think from what I'd heard, and my, my information's a little dated, but it topped out at 15%, 20 absolute tops. So it's like, that's not a primary revenue stream. Plus, it's undercut by the fact that you've got subscriptions for Marvel and DC yep. that are bringing in, you know, seven, eight bucks a month to read everything they've got that's in there. That's the digital, I think, could be a futuristic thing with the collections. Not not, well, not the buying the single ones, but like a Marvel Unlimited type The subscription ad. model, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know that there is the critical mass of subscribers to sustain the cost of of production for enough new things. I agree with you there. People always point to manga stuff, manga, manga, whatever you want to say. Whatever. And they say, oh, well, 
Shonen Jump's $2.50 a month. I'm like, but you got to look at this. That stuff is produced in mass in Japan. Mm-hmm. It's already been paid for multiple times over, and they're just re-releasing it and translating it here. Uh, that's a very different animal than creating new content here with the readership base that we have. We're in a where essentially not many people read comics here. It's just a fact. Well, yeah. I mean, let's take a top-selling book. Say it's selling on a, a monthly basis a hundred thousand copies. Now, there are going to be some things that sure sell above that, but not on a regular basis. And now let's take that 100,000 copies across the U.S. So how many copies are going to be in any one place? And then let's go take a look at Shonen Jump or the equivalent stuff over in Japan, which is a much denser country in terms of, of people and such. And you can go to virtually any department store or train station or, I mean, you could be set down in almost any populated part of the country and be within, maybe not easy, but walking distance, and usually easy walking distance, of a copy of of the manga. Yeah, it's just everywhere. It's ubiquitous. And here, there's large swaths of the country where you can't find a comic anywhere. (laughs) Compare that to the late 70s, early 80s, when there were spinner racks or the equivalents in 7-Elevens, grocery stores other convenience stores, you name it, there were a lot more comics out there to be had. Yeah. Our spinner racks died and theirs keep going. Yeah. And and that's the main difference. So, yeah. I think if we want American comics to survive, Marvel and DC or other publishers need to find a way to get their stuff serialized in those Japanese mangas. That would be amazing. Ah, a thought. John, you happen to have connections in Japan. Let's I make do, this happen. but unless I'm making millions off it, I'm not selling this idea. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Let's make this happen. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, so those were just some of my thoughts and changes. Cool. Brings us up to our next one from Dr. Mo. also. Okay, what are some older non-DC and Marvel series or titles that you believe deserve a bit more recognition? I'll let you go first, because I have a few. He didn't have any definition of older, so I basically went through my inventory of stuff, and it's like, oh, what pops, saying, oh, wow, people should read these. Early Valiant stuff, the 1992 era Valiant, had some really good stuff, so I'd recommend that. Atomic Robo? I mean, what happened to that? That's not even that old. That started within the last 15 years, but seems to have faded out a number of years ago. Yep. Grew the Wanderer, always a ton of fun. Sword from the Lunar Brothers, I enjoyed that quite a bit. That was some uh, image stuff. That just got resolicited. I'm, I was thinking about picking those up. I enjoyed it quite a bit. All right. Uncle Scrooge, of which there are hundreds of issues, some of that going way far back, some of it not. Uh, Actually, they stopped doing that, wow, maybe five years ago now. I was picking that up when it went over to, was it Boom when I started picking it up? But I've since gone back and and read like the life and times of Uncle Scrooge. There's some classic stuff there. Cool. That was one that my uncle was a big fan of. And for the longest time, it's like, yeah, I just don't get it. But I'd never checked it out. And now you like it. Now I like it. (laughs) and would be getting it if there was a convenient vehicle for doing it. Another one that uh, I thought was a a bunch of fun is Justice Machine, and one of the episodes that I really would have liked to have been on but was not was when a co-host interviewed the then-owner of the property. Ah. Because that's one that I think would be interesting if I could get my hands on for an affordable price to own. Uh, It's one that I think could have some mileage out of it. Very cool. And then two others that I enjoyed. PS238 was a ton of fun. It was about a 
public elementary school with the sons and daughters of superheroes and villains. Very cool. And then PvP from Scott Kurtz when it was coming out in comic book form. Because I just, I, I generally don't remember to go check a webcomic every day. And I think since he stopped doing the comic version ages ago, he changed his art style a bit. And it's not bad, it's just different than what I remember. All right, cool. And I'm sure there are tons of others that I'm just not remembering, but this is another one of those kind of memory test questions that I, I usually don't do all that well on. Well, yours are probably deeper cuts than mine, so... You ready for my list? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I started with one that's like kind of funny because it's not that – it doesn't need much more recognition, although the TV series sucked, which is why The Last Man, which is my favorite favorite comic of all time. Mm-hmm. So I loved it. On the manga side, I've actually opened it up and looked at it, and I've read some of the first Takabans of both of them. Akira and Fist of the North Star are turning out to be excellent. I think they're both terrific, and they're both made in the 80s. So they're just starting to reprint them and stuff. And so if you haven't read them, good reads. Cool. Uh, Akira's kind of like post-apocalyptic type thing from in the 80s. Like, mm-hmm. like Now, Fist of the North Star is more like a fight manga. I- I've heard of both. I haven't read either. Yeah, it- it- it's basically a fight manga is all you need to know. So there- there's a lot of fighting in there. But the guy was a big fan of the Mad Max series, The Road Warrior, because mm-hmm. that was coming out when he did this. And he even mentioned when he's doing this the road warrior so it's a mix of the road warrior with a fight manga and so this was kind of like a book that was like the genesis of the fight manga (laughs) got it okay cool Uh, okay another one that i think needs more recognition and you'll agree with this astro city fantastic stuff i mean classic uh superhero it feels like golden age superhero silver age superhero but modern Mm -hmm. i think old heavy metal stuff is excellent heavy metal they used to be like cutting edge They'd have, you know, racy stuff in there, sci-fi stuff in there, all kinds of cool stuff. And it just seems to not be hitting on its all the cylinders. It's just not working for me anymore, so I don't read it. Judge Dredd, it just kind of disappeared. And I understand with the whole police brutality thing and the Black Lives Matters protests, I can see why that, you know, the cop being the judge and the executioner, <laughs> it, it probably doesn't sit well, you know, currently and with the current zeitgeist. But it was it was something I used to love to read when I was younger, and I think it's great. And I listened to um, this one podcast called Wait What, and they have a, a series that comes out like once every two or three weeks called Drock, where they go over all the old Judge Dredd stuff, and I listened to that. Mm. Just got, kind of cool. And then the other thing that I was going to mention, Vietnam War Journal, excellent. It's a, If you're into war books, it's it was, came out originally from Apple Comics, but it's been collected by Caliber Press. Okay. That, excellent material. And then there's la- the last two I was going to mention. It's kind of a cheat. It's not DC, but it was Vertigo, and that was they would have been in Image today, but the DMZ and Scalped. Scalped was Jason Aaron. It was a crime book taking place on Indian Reservation. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent story. That was Jason Aaron, and then DMZ, which I have not watched a TV series. I don't know anything about that. It was um, Brian Wood. Brian Wood, and it was so relevant to what we were feeling here. Because there was a split in the United States government. There's people who were upset with the election. Certain states rose up in their National Guard armories and stuff to fight the United States. And Manhattan becomes like the demilitarized zone between these two fighting forces. Oh, and DMZ, because I mean, Brian Wood would always give me a hard time of, well, my, my book's selling better than your reporting. Oh. And I'm like, well, these are the numbers I've got. So, and what it came down to is, a lot of his stuff would sell but not hit the top seller list. It would sell below the radar. 
Oh. And sometimes at the end of the year, there'd be the equivalent of like a third of the sales, like a huge chunk of sales that fell below the radar. Oh, wow. So and Brian it was Wood- anomalous, but it was true, yeah. So Brian Wood listens to your podcast. Oh, this was back in the day. Well, Brian, if you're still listening, I love your book, man. I love that and the massive. It was awesome. Well, he does some great, great work. Absolutely. Yeah. And sure. I'm, I'm reasonably certain he listened to the podcast because at one point he had named his website Standard Attrition, which is a term I used quite frequently in the early days of the sales stuff. <laughs> That's funny. And, and Brian Wood, I remember I followed him like on some social media thing and he was into CrossFit and I'm a CrossFitter. So I was like, I just really like that guy. So I think he's a cool guy and writes good stuff. So anyways. Actually talk to him when you're at Comic-Con. All right. I, I was a little hesitant to do so because, again, you know, yeah, the, the way some people come across online when they disagree with you, and uh, he was right to disagree with me because what he was seeing on his royalty statements and what I was showing in the, the direct sales numbers, one, don't match and shouldn't always match, but there was a good reason as to why. Yeah. I'm going to go meet him. I heard your books aren't selling well. No. <laughs> I won't do that. Well, hell, promise. more power to him to have that kind of a backlist sales and stuff. That's awesome. I think that's more valuable than having the initial upfront sales. Yeah, I actually, they re-released DMZ when they were coming out with the TV series and mm-hmm. compendium stuff. And I'm hoping that they release both Scalped and DMZ in hardcovers because they're two of my favorite series. Oh, right up there, close to Why with the La- Why the Last Man, that I would buy in hardcover for sure. I would double dip on those. They're, they're fantastic. That makes sense. Brings us up to our last couple of questions, which are really for you. And the first one for you is, what are your thoughts on monetizing your podcast? Well, before the sales data dried up, uh, the money I was making from the articles on the comic book sales over at C-Bar uh, did help kind of defray the cost of the podcast. So that was nice. Ah. And I haven't really found a suitable replacement income stream. But I've also seen some other podcasts seem like what they were saying or doing or not saying or doing at times seemed to sometimes be because of who they had as a sponsor. Yeah. That's not to say it was because of who they had as a sponsor, but it came across that way. And I don't want to have an income stream uh, for the podcast that's at the cost of my credibility. You know, if, if like when I was shopping for DCBS or shopping with them and I was very happy with them and stuff, I think people could take that at face value. Now, if I had been sponsored by DCBS and saying those same things, I think the weight of those words would have been less. Yeah. And that would have been nothing wrong on DCBS's part or wouldn't have changed any of the facts of the matter for the most part. You know, but that's also why I did not take a sponsorship when it was offered from DCBS. Yep. And they're, again, great people over there. And I did an episode on why I didn't have sponsors way back in like 2008. Now, I haven't listened to that episode in well over a decade, but it basically came down to, I want people to to not think I've been bought and paid for. Yeah. So am I interested in monetizing the podcast in the right way, shape, and form? Absolutely. Have I found that? No, I haven't. Well, I I will tell you there's a secret, and I don't know if I'm allowed to share it because he told me about it over a year ago, and he didn't do it, and I'm hoping he does it this year. But Eric had a great promo for you. Mm. So, man, I want to tell you about it. All right. I'm, I'm going to message Eric. I'll be like, can I tell him? Can I tell him? <laughs> no, it, it, it's kind of like a cool little promo, like a one-time thing, which I think would be fun. So we'll see. Yeah. All right. And again, I'm not in the podcast to make money. I'm not in it to get free things. And I've seen some other podcasts that were that felt like they were in it for the free things 
the perks, all that kind of a stuff. And when you've got listeners donating stuff and it feels like the podcasters are making money, there were a couple of things that just felt a little... I'm not saying it was shady. I'm saying it felt shady. Well, I, I can I can tell you this. I listen to this podcast, and it, it's a good pod, podcast, and it's fun. And these guys make a lot of money. Eleven o'clock, they mm-hmm. do they do a great job. They have commercials, whatever. You know, most of the time it's DCBS. One time they switched to organic price books because maybe they got outbid. Who knows? I don't I don't care. But I remember they used to have a section at the end where one of them they'd just be doing the reviews, and then they'd have like. They call it the Valiant Orama, and they just went into Valiant this and Valiant that and Valiant, Valiant, Valiant. And then I started realizing, I was like, and then it just disappeared. They never speak about Valiant anymore. I'm like, oh, that's paid advertising, actually, the reviews they were doing. And I was like, it's smart. You know, hey, review these books. We want you to do this for this segment of time. But that's when I started going, uh, okay, is this how they're picking the stuff that they're reviewing? I know most of it they don't, but sometimes that can creep in, and then you start questioning other things they're saying. And I felt that myself, so I know what you're, where you're coming from. That whole questioning is what I want to avoid. Yeah. And I've seen some other podcasts where, man, they were the biggest fan of whoever they had on that week. And two weeks later, it's like, who are they? Yeah. Who are, who are they? Yeah. That, that's, that's not how I roll. Yeah, I know what you mean. All right. Now, this was one that I have to do for my business, and I asked it of your little business here. Do you have a continuity plan for your podcast if something were to happen to you? So I always have to do it for like hurricane season and, you know, if, if something bad happens to my office or in the, what am I going to do? There's a fire. I got to keep, you know, going. I have customers. What do you do? Well, and you're the perfect person to have asked this since you had to deal with my lack of one when my father died. Yeah. And again, your flexibility through all of that was was so appreciated because uh, for listeners who don't know, I was on a uh, a family vacation. We were flying back from a cruise, and my father died on the airplane. And we wound up, my mom, my sister, and I, in Glasgow for a week and a half, unplanned, unexpected, and just kind of shell-shocked. And I had had enough episodes to get me through the trip and back home. And then it's like, I gotta have something to go up, because I hadn't missed an episode at that point. You were willing to record your side of things uh, solo and send them to me, because I had my computer and I had a Wi-Fi connection. That's when I read, I think it was, was it the first issue of Naomi? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you were a huge help on that. And we were able to, you know, put an episode or two together that way and stuff and kind of get things back rolling once I got home. And there was a time when after the pandemic, we were starting to do the back issue spotlights. And I forget if, I think it was Sam had something come up and he had to cancel, which again, that happens, no problem. But then I was like, well, what am I going to put up on Monday? So I, I think I called Eric and did an episode with him pretty quick. That's and then awesome. that's when it's like, I'm going to start getting these episodes done in advance, which helps a lot. Yeah, when you have four or five in the can, something happens, no big deal. Yeah. So do I have a continuity plan? I've got more of one than I had before, which is basically having episodes ready to go ahead of time. So there's a certain aspect of... The podcast will outlive me at least a little bit based on however many episodes I've got queued up for release when I kick the bucket. But let me turn the question around, both for you and the listeners. Would it still be the Comic Book Page podcast without me? Yeah. I've had some thoughts on a way the podcast could continue beyond me. It's a question of would it make sense to or not. And given my answer on the monetization question of, yeah, I'm not really making money on this, that's less incentive for somebody else to take it over. Yeah, that's what I don't know. Like, I, 
you're just so intertwined with it. I can't see anyone else doing it. But yeah, if someone else did it, it would be nice. I, I, I just my my fear is you put all this effort into this and this is kind of like a legacy you're leaving behind. But when you stop paying the fees, it just disappears, you know, mm-hmm. and, and to the ether. It's just gone forever. You know, well, the- I, I've seen that exact thing happen. I think I, I haven't checked lately. I don't know if the comics alternative is still available. Yeah, it might be gone, and, and I'll never hear those episodes, maybe, because I didn't listen. Boom, gone. And Derek Royal did a ton of great work on that stuff. He had a, a much more academic slant on things, but that was his background. And it would be a shame if those are no longer available. And again, I've got 2,000 episodes. Do I think all of them are gems? Should we save for posterity? Oh, okay, maybe not, but maybe one or two of them are worth listening to down the line. Yeah. So uh, there's a question of the back catalog and how it can be kind of maintained somewhere. And should it keep going? And should it keep going, exactly. And I've kicked around the idea of recording an episode to be released after my death. Wow. I just haven't done that, and I don't know if I should. So I'm I'm definitely interested in what the listeners think on all this. All right. Man, that is a horrifying episode and a horrifying thought. But if you record it, yes, that would be like like something like a gift you're giving to people. Wow. 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 That's deep. Yeah, and I've got I've got four episodes scheduled for way the hell out just because I'm not ready to release them yet. Part of them are a series, and I want the rest of the series done. And again, I'm working ahead, so I've got, you know, uh, some other stuff ready to go. And I expect whenever I were to kick the bucket, it's either I've got nothing or I've got most of the next couple of weeks ready. So it would, in that respect, at least outlast me slightly. Yeah. Man, now we got to think on it. And, uh, I'm hoping people are listening two hours into this podcast that we're recording, and maybe they'll talk about it on the Slack. Give us some ideas if you guys want to keep seeing this thing. If something happened to John, which is a sad thought, I hope nothing happens to you, John, but something will happen to all of us one day. Exactly. It's not a question of if, it's a matter of when. It's going to, yeah. And I I do have some thoughts as to how the, the podcast could potentially continue without me. It's just a question of, is that a desirable thing or not? All right. Or... If I'm not here, is it just fundamentally a different podcast? This kind of ties into the very last question here, because mm-hmm. it's like, based on what you're saying now, how long do you anticipate the podcast going? What keeps you going when so many have stopped? What motivates you to keep going, John? And how long do you plan to continue the podcast? Again, another great question. And we've had a ton of them this time. A positive listener feedback and engagement does a lot to keep the podcast going. Okay. Hearing that people have enjoyed what they've read and they've read it because it was recommended or talked about on the podcast, that definitely is motivation to keep going. Likewise, there have been other times where the frustrations around the podcast nearly got it to the point where it's like, okay, I'm done. Uh, That makes sense. If if it's more frustrating than it is rewarding, you're done. That, Mm -hmm. (laughs) That makes sense. I went through one or two periods where it's like the level of, of frustration I was feeling was so not worth it. Yeah, I'll tell you what, the thing that I like the most about doing the podcast is when people, when, when I know they're still listening and they do say something, mm-hmm. whether it's the preview spotlight or the back, monthly comic spotlight or a back issue spotlight, if they ask a question, I'm like, wow, someone actually listened and said something. <laughs> That's it is nice. amazing how deafening the silence can be at times. Yeah. Because when we had mentioned at one point we were going to do uh, Stray Dogs, a lot of people, oh yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Looking forward to it, whatever. Release the episodes? Crickets. Okay. And I'm sure they've listened to it. I'm assuming they enjoyed it. 
But, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Versus like when we did Crisis, when immediately after recording Crisis, people were asking questions. Mm-hmm. And before cri- the Crisis recording and after, we're like, that's kind of cool. And we are going to have another recording pretty soon on, yeah. on those Crisis things. But I mean, that it makes you, it's a little bit rewarding. It's like, wow, people do care or are at least listening. Wow, that's nice. Again, a lot of these questions came from Jason Z. Yeah. He sent in the ones for the uh, the Crisis Q&A. He's also put a few in for the, uh, the Legion Spotlight. That, in and of itself, keeps the podcast going a bit. Jason Z, you're keeping it going. But <laughs> he shouldn't be the only one. That's true, yeah. And Dr. You know? Mo is great, too. Oh, yeah, I, totally. Um, and actually, absolutely. Actually, you know, your old co-host, Drew, he's been cool that he's been sending in some questions every now and then, too. Yes, and I, I yes. appreciate that, Drew. So, I appreciate that a lot. Because, like, um, it, it, it just – it's nice when you hear from people. Sometimes, you know, you get a private message, you know, a little, a little DM in the Slack, and that's cool too. But um, it, it just – it makes you feel good when you get mm-hmm. feedback. So very cool. Well, I'm happy that you've done 2,000 episodes, and I'm glad I was here for some of them, 200 and some odd episodes. And I, I think you could do 2,000 more maybe. Well, I, I think so. I think a lot of what keeps the podcast going is inertia. I mean, it keeps going because it keeps going. I haven't missed a, a week in nearly 15 years, 14 and a half now, and I don't intend to miss any weeks, but there does come a point where, you know, I want some time off, so I'm getting ahead right now and then got to come back into it. And again, the editing time, the opportunity cost that I'm not doing other things. I mean, there's a lot that, that plays into this. Yeah. Because you figure it takes two to four times the length of the episode to do uh, to to edit and stuff plus that i have to go watch a season of tv or or read you know a couple hundred pages of comics or whatever to to do something and i've done 2000 episodes for over 2100 hours of content wow to put that into perspective if you were to have started listening at the beginning of the year like at the stroke of midnight january 1st you'd have made it almost all the way through march like onto march 31st i believe before you ran out of episodes, assuming you didn't stop or sleep or anything. Didn't sleep, eat. <laughs> Which I do not recommend. I think it's against the Geneva Convention and stuff like that. I'm just saying. But uh, that's that's a ton of content. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and hopefully people will go check out the, the back catalog and find some stuff they'll enjoy. Either on the sales episodes or the back issue spotlights or uh, all kinds of other stuff. I've done some series of episodes on various novels and whatnot. I think there's a, a ton of material that's that's worth checking out. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping we get a solid year of material where you play from January all the way till December 31st. So you can keep listening. I don't know if I'm going to last that long. <laughs> that, that's that's a ton. I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, if I stop editing, maybe. But no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but for real, congratulations. This is a big feat. And I'm proud of you. And I'm glad I was here to be your co-host for your 2000 episode. Well, thanks for being here for this and the other episodes. I want to thank all the other co-hosts and stuff. This would not have happened without them. And then again, there are other people that behind the scenes gave quite a bit of help early on to get the podcast started. Again, Ian Levenstein uh, was a big help for some of that. Chris Marshall was a ton, both of help, inspiration, and, and guidance and stuff for a number of years. Very cool. So, yeah, fun stuff. Awesome. Anything else? No, that does it for me. Cool. 
The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.